Powered from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Drew State Studios in California. It's episode 266 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome back Mo Malley of Patina Cigars as our special guest. And as always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Saga Cigars. Delos Race introduced another chapter of the saga, the Saga Celeste. Celeste is a Spanish word that means leisure after work in the spirit of the standing ideal of owning your own journey and making your own saga. Saga Celeste is the perfect companion to enrich those moments of choice, making them truly yours. The Saga says carries a blend of Criollo Olor and Peloto Cubano wrapped in a selected Ecuador shade claro wrapper that generously delivers with elegance a surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available in three sizes at an affordable price. Be sure to ask your retailer for Saga Soles. And by Perdomo Cigars, awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary blend requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected and a well-eased for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combine these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigar is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo Double H 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, the Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary Line, Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrel-Aged, Perdomo A23, Perdomo Menso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And of course, we want to mention Cavalier Cigars. Cavalier Cigars, smoke gold and stay gold. Join the inner circle. Follow Cavalier Cigars on their Instagram page at Cavalier underscore cigars. And on Facebook at Cavalier Geneve Cigars. That's Geneve, G-E-N-E-V-E. And visit your local tobaccoists. Be sure to join that movement that is Cavalier Cigars. Consistently regarded highly by cigar lovers everywhere, as well as high ratings by the Cigar Industry Press. Of course, again, follow them on Instagram at Cavalier underscore cigars because they do some very unique giveaways throughout the whole year. Cavalier Cigars, smoke gold, stay gold. Finally, by Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Black and cigars that me want no one to do. Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest and darkest, and heaviest steps of Maduro tobacco. A masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The old Maduro Black and Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for life celebrations and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of Shows, as well as the California Studios for the Thursday Primetime Show, sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime, episode 266. Today is Thursday, May 4th, 2023. This is Will Cooper. I am in the Pernomo Scar Studios on the Black Stage, as always. I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Aaron Loomis. How you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing good. How about you? Doing well. Doing well. I can't complain. Can't complain here. So uh, I'm getting ready to do a little traveling this weekend. So I'm getting uh, did some packing tonight and stuff. And uh, 
head out tomorrow and I'll be uh, once again in the great city of Miami next week, next, this weekend. So yeah. And then you yeah. can't wait for the race. Uh, I'll be, I'll, I'm actually not going to beat the race. I'm only going to beat the qualifying. So I'll beat the qualifying, right, which actually I had a choice and the qualifying to me is a little more interesting. So, uh, I just decided to do that, but one day will be more, uh, than enough there. So, if, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I like formula and don't get me wrong, but, uh, it's going to be a long day for me. And, uh, I'm actually staying till Monday down there. I have a few other things I'm gonna be doing, but uh I got that and then um and then I don't think I'm traveling again until late May. I'm gonna be down in Georgia for a weekend with my wife. So okay. uh, which is a like we've not gone away as a couple probably in a long time. Like we've we've taken some family trips, but the family trips this year it's like guess we're gonna do a weekend. So um, I can't remember the last time we did that, so it'll be that'll be fun. So I'm looking nice. forward to, yep. So I'll have that. That's Memorial Day weekend. So yeah, um, and PCA. So uh, so pretty good. Yeah. So uh, no, all's good. Uh, we, you know, we're gonna be. T- I know we'll be talking about some uh, some baseball stuff tonight, but a lot of cigar talk. But why don't we bring in our special guest right now? Um, he's making his return to the primetime show. Um, and really glad to have this guy back. Um. Mr. Mo Malley of Patina Cigars. Mo, welcome back to Prime Time. Thank you, sir. Glad, great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. It's been a long time, my friend. So I'm really glad yeah. to have you back. Uh, and uh, no, but it's great to have you back there. Thanks, man. It's uh, you know, we got yeah. I think we Prime Time was one of the first I ever did when I first started Patina. So yeah, uh, it's great to be back. And you, lots you, happened since then. Yeah, yeah, and a lot. Uh, and um, you, you had just launched at the time, so you know now, yeah. oh, there's definitely a lot happening. And uh, I know I, we were messaging, and I said, "Hey, I'm not going to be a TPA. Um, I just want to let you know that, and uh, not forgetting about you." But I said, "We'd we'll love to get you on the show." And uh, we we kind of made one thing happen. It was yeah. we were, actually had some a lot of stuff scheduled, and then I we finally got a date. So I was really glad we were able to work that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the first couple months of the year, I was traveling a lot with the, I was at pro cigar that week. So yeah, actually skipped a lot of shows at the beginning of the year. So, uh, but then we got back into the rhythm in, in March. So, uh, but yeah, and it's all good to be here. Yeah. It's going to be even more interesting. <laughs> yeah. With, yeah. Uh, March being in, uh, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it definitely will be, um, yeah. for sure. And, uh, you know, Mo, you're, you know, you're still based in Chicago, right? Yep. Yep. So, I mean, I remember this was a long time ago. I was, uh, I was always going into your home shop, uh, which was Casa de Monte Cristo in Countryside. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, I used to go to Chicago once a month on my job. So that was yeah. I always kind of find a way to stay out in a hotel out by Countryside right, right. Uh, to make that happen. Or I'd stay downtown and drive out the Countryside after. Yeah. Right. So I just, uh, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, and then I remember when you started the brand and everything, but um, but yeah, yep. it's, but uh, it's yeah, great tonight to- I'm actually at the Byron Lounge in Schaumburg, which is on the oh, north nice. north of the suburb. Uh, same guys that own it, but yeah, so yeah. instead of different name. Yeah, we have a guy. We have a guy uh, who goes to that lounge and on the Coop team. His name is Aaron Nielsen. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah you know Aaron. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. his home shop. Yep, yep. Yeah, so I'm on a road game. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's good. Uh, um, but no, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I've been. Uh, 
I mean, uh, I haven't gotten out there yet since the Byron rounds open, but uh, he's been raving about it. So uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Yep, yep. Mo, for folks who um, may not know of um, Patina Cigars, how did you get into the? I mean, we may have covered this on last time, but how did you kind of get yeah. into the business? Yeah, man. So it's actually funny you bring that up. I I had the opportunity. So it actually goes back to James Brown, believe it or not, from Black Lake. Really? Not the singer uh, from Black Lake. Right. And so if we were, so I will get to that. Um, so I started out really as a podcaster. We had started the Sultans of Smoke podcast. In Remember that? Yep. And um, my God, I can't believe it's been that long ago. But uh, <laughs> so my buddy Drew had met James Brown at a Black Label event in Tulsa. And so they had become, you know, started talking and Drew was like, hey, do you want to make a cigar for the podcast to me? And I said, I, you know, I guess, I don't know, whatever. So he's, he reached out to James and James agreed to do it from, from Black Label. And so that kind of opened the door to everything that happened after that. But yeah, so we made a cigar for the podcast and that was really tough to sell when nobody knew who the hell you were. Right. And, uh, that ended up becoming kind of a cult cigar, if you will, as time went on and Black Label gained in popularity and, and whatnot. Uh, but this past TPE, I got a chance to sit with James for a little bit, and I made sure to thank him uh, because without him saying yes to that project, uh, there would be no patina today, I don't think. Wow. And I remember you, it was 2016, I think, when the company got announced. And right. and then shortly after, you, I think you guys went to IPCPR that year. Uh, I was yeah. actually at IPCPR 2016 as a retailer. Because that's what I, it was, yeah. That's what it was, yeah. yes. I knew we saw you there, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, I was still working for the guys here. Uh, I left my corporate job. And I wanted to learn the retail end, which I thought would make me smarter uh, once I started Patina. Right. But uh, yeah, the wheels really started in motion in 2015. But as you know, things right. moved at a different pace in the cigar industry. So we didn't. I didn't actually get on the road until 2017. Yep. And I think that was around the time then we had you on shortly after. Yep. Shortly yep. after that. Yep. Um. Yes. So, yeah, it's uh, like I said, it was um, you just passed the five year mark. So, you know, yeah. congr congratulations on that, because Thank I you. say to a lot of people, you start a business, you know, a lot of people something don't make it three years. Yeah, uh, it's actually going to be six years on uh, May 17th this year. Really? Six years. Yeah. But like most people, in the know, cigar business, they're five years, their anniversary cigars come out, you know. They, yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> yeah. COVID pushed that back. Yeah. 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 So. No, absolutely. Yeah, I was a lot less gray than I am now yeah. when I started Katina. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, but for a while, you know, I know you were working with the folks at Mombacho. Um, yeah. You were actually in a dual role for a while there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's uh, but then eventually you 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 uh, you, you went full time with Patina. Yep. Um, and, um, but I remember when you were at Mombacho, I think yes. one of the unique things you were doing there with them that really they weren't doing is you were kind of working with that factory and you were kind of testing the limits of that factory in terms of, they were always known for doing those Nicaraguan puros. 
Right. You you got you come in there and you're you're doing a Connecticut, you're doing a Habano. So yeah. you were kind of doing you were kind of again, I think pushing the envelope, not pushing the envelope, you know, pushing the boundaries of what that factory was doing and kind of doing some innovation there. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, we what really was attractive about Mombacho was that there were no other brands being made there at the time, and their focus was on Nicaraguan puros. And so I felt like there was an opportunity where we wouldn't have to like we weren't using the same stuff. There was no, you know, mm-hmm. it was about, so it, it was, it was great from that perspective. I, um, I went to Casa Pavilli mm-hmm. in January for the first time. Okay. Now when I went, it's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going to be really honest. I don't know how they got any, produ- I mean, I know they scale back the pairs there. Even so, that is a very small factory. And, um, you know, the amount of production that they did, I know, was small. But even to do that amount of production, Mo, hey, I don't know. They they really squeezed a lot out of that space is all I'm going to say. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's a testament to to Claudio and and Oliver, who was the production manager, and Benoit, who now is growing his own tobacco in Condega. So, um, yeah, man, it's a testament to those guys and, and how they were able to maximize space. Yeah, I mean, I just, it was, Aaron, I mean, I don't think you've seen, I mean, it it was, big, yes, it was bigger than like an LT Tom de Bronze, right? I'm not saying, it, right. but again, it was just, um, you just look at it like it's small is what I'm just going to, it looks like a big building on the outside, but it, it's actually pretty right. small in there. So, but it's a true, like, we, I hear that boutique thing thrown around. It's probably, it is a true boutique factory there. For sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, uh, but you were there for, but then you, you made some decisions to focus on patina full-time and yep. then you made some decisions as far as, um, production and distribution. You made some big changes yep. with that. Um, yep. which I see that happen with a lot of new companies, but you seem mm-hmm. to have done a very good job with this. I mean, this is seeming yeah, both thanks. moves have seemed to really work out good for you. Uh, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been lucky. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, um, Sutliff is the distributor now of Patina, and you're talking yeah. about an organization that's been around for 150 years. Uh, so that was something that I felt was a good move because, again, I was looking for things that I can grow into uh, as you continue to try to grow and all of that. And then obviously Noxa, being part of you know the Oliva tobacco family, having access to that tobacco and not having to worry about those types of uh, issues that maybe sometimes brands my size do have to worry about on a you know a lot was uh, allowed me to kind of rest easy on that and that's one less thing to worry about and you know they've been fantastic and I know you guys probably know Gus Kura and I mean you know what kind of guy he is and uh, obviously you know Raul Disla so been very lucky uh, with that as well. What we when you were when you were looking so that went into a lot of your decision making as far as hey what kind of factory I'm looking for um was it because like I said they don't necessarily have a brand that's coming out their own brand that's coming out of right. factory but they work yeah. with a lot of different but they still have some big clients like like Oksaka is coming out of there yeah. I think I think Christian Aroa was in that factory for a, I don't still know if is, yeah. still is so I mean there's some big clients but it seemed like they found a home for you in making that work right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, now I think, you know, there's Crown Heads, there's uh, uh, Saka, Dapper. me, Dapper. Yeah. Uh, so definitely gives uh, gives it some 
Saka being there gives us some legitimacy to begin with. I mean, let's be honest. Um, And then as our brands all grow, then it becomes more and more of a legitimate because the issue is never tobacco, thankfully. So we just got to build the name and, and, you know, that's kind of our job too, because the, the more, the better the reputation of the factory, it helps all of us that come out of it. Yeah. When you move the, when you move the original two blends over the Habano mm-hmm. and the K, you did make changes to those blends, correct? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll tell you if you want to know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kind of, yeah. it seemed like it worked very positive for you. When you yeah, did no, I mean, I, the reception I, yeah. was very good. Yeah. Yeah, so basically we felt like they were, both of the blends were a, a lot, very jalapa forward. And so we, in addition to the Pennsylvania broadleaf, we actually added Connecticut broadleaf to the filler. And so that that kind of changed it a little bit. And so that's what we have today. Yeah, and it, like I said, it seemed like it was, uh, you know, a lot of times you, people will make a, and you, were, I think, like I said, I don't believe I believe you were very transparent when that move happened. Okay, this is what we're doing here. This is what's changing, and um, I think yeah. the, I mean the reception was from including myself smoking these. This was a very good move here. You 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 yeah. you, you took a step up, and I it so it, I think it really helped you with doing that. Yeah, thankfully, man, it really worked out. Yeah, um, been very happy with how everything has worked out, and now I just got to keep uh, you know building a brand is a lot different than feeling like selling cigars. And I know maybe that sounds a little, I don't know, it doesn't make sense, but it, it does. Because if you build a brand to mean something to people, the brand will sell the cigars. Um, people will go in, you know, you look at legacy brands. Why do people buy them? Because it's recognizable. They know what to expect. Uh, so consistency is always a focus, obviously. And, uh, just something that, and I always talk about this too, is play to the strengths of your factory. That's the easiest way to be able to maintain consistency in your cigars. Yeah. And um, that's what I try to do. And so it's just being real deliberate with everything. And we've seen some different methods of, of uh, different players in the cigar space taking different ways to build their brands. And no one way is right or wrong. It just depends on kind of how you view things. and um i am aware though that the way i'm doing it just takes more time you made a comment that i'm really interested in um you said play to the strengths of your factory right yep so i'm going to just expand on that a bit to see so when you say that like it's basically you're saying hey don't if you're going to build a core like let me put it i'll put a scenario and you tell me if this is true or not so if you're building a core line don't try to get like this tobacco that's scarce and uh hard to get right Play to the tobaccos that they work well with and they're yes. known to be able to get, right? That that's what you're kind of saying with that. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. that's how you're gonna be able to keep product and be able to keep a consistent yeah. uh profile to the cigar that you do. Yep. Yep. Um and you've taken a very um organic approach. You you have not like built this thing, um you've not rushed lines out. You have taken a very slow approach um mm-hmm. to doing this over the years. Um and that's been deliberate, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, so part of it is like when you decide, not you. So if I decide to come out with a new line, there has to be a purpose behind it. Either it's I'm missing a certain segment of the cigar consumer market, 
or uh, I feel that it's a good place to where I won't cannibalize from existing, but I have a chance to grab more uh, consumers than I previously had. So when I feel that we're at that point, then I'm like, okay, yeah, it makes sense to come out with something new. But to come out with something new, uh, just to build your your, your offering, your, your number of SKUs, um, never really made a ton of sense to me. Uh, every, everything's got to have purpose behind it. Oh, I definitely, I uh, I support you on that as hundred uh, percent um, as well. Let me take a step back because I am, I do want to talk about some of the other lines, but I want to go back to Sutliff. Um, again, it's a uh, a lot of people may not have heard of Sutliff. We like I know when we go to the trade show now every year. Mm -hmm. Um, going to Sutliff, and I kind of I've used this expression with a few books. It's almost like going to a trade show within a trade show. Sure. And, um, you know, what was interesting, I want to talk about that relationship a little bit because it mm -hmm. wasn't like I thought it was a brilliant move, by the way, going there um, because like I had a lot of retailers buying pipe tobacco and then they started asking me about the brands that were in there. And I thought it sure. was unique, but, yeah. but you went with a pipe, a company that's much more known for pipe distribution. So what went into that? Because you could look at that and say that was somewhat of a risk you took there with that. Yeah. So they you're talking about reach, right? They right. had a reach that was so much greater than what I could do. Uh, so that was a big part of it. And I was the second brand that they ever really, they ever started distributing. So I was, you know, kind of like the guinea pig, if you will, but uh -huh. which excited me as well, because I knew that if I took the chance as one of the first ones, then I had a better opportunity to build a longer term relationship because they took a chance on me like I took a chance on them, you know, and uh, they've been fantastic. When when we say distribution, right, mm -hmm. they're handling well, like sometimes that term is is thrown around a lot. Like mm -hmm. sometimes it's it's fulfillment. Sometimes it is sales and fulfillment. Sometimes it's sales, marketing, yeah. and fulfillment. What What right. is the arrangement that you've made with these guys that, you, you know, what you can share, obviously, yeah, on that? Yeah, man, it's all three. You know, they'll okay. they have an inside sales team. Uh -huh. uh, they have, they, we get the orders, we'll put them in, uh, they ship them out. And then sometimes they'll get orders from their inside sales and they ship them out. So, and then if... Uh, they constantly let their customers know that, hey, we we distribute these brands if you're interested in bringing them in. Uh -huh. And uh, if I ever want to do like a, a deal or something like that, which I'm not a huge deal person, um, but if I do, they'll they'll promote it and run it and, and all that. Right. Right. And like I said, it seemed like I said, that booth is I know last year we couldn't even get into that booth until day four. It was it's a busy. Yeah. booth. I mean, we were. Um, I think we were doing the last set of interviews with you guys, which was like we, we were it was like we felt bad. But that booth was very busy uh, the last two years is what we saw. Yeah, it's it's been good. Um, it really helps all of us. I mean, you know, as as you guys know, Adventura has has really been growing and doing well. And having them as a part of uh, Sutliff has, has kind of, you know, helped everybody in that regard. too. So, right. But. But you supplement that, right? So it's not your look. You're, um, yes, they're doing the things you mentioned, but you're, you have kind of taken a very grassroots approach, I think, in parallel with that. Because you know, we were just talking before the show. You were up in North Carolina, so you're on the right. road quite a bit, like, like basically moving this brand. 
Yeah, prior, especially prior to COVID. COVID obviously really guys didn't start doing uh, a lot of cutting lights and all of that until early 2021. But I mean, you know, this month I'm going to Texas at the end of the month, and then next month I'll be out in PA, and then uh, and then we'll see probably North Carolina trip and a Tennessee trip on the horizon. I was just in Arizona a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the way to the way to build a, a small brand is uh, being in front of people because we don't have the dollars to necessarily advertise. And so you can kind of overcome some of that with uh, with being on the road. And um, that's just kind of how I look at it. Now, I will say, though, that because of COVID, I think the way cigars are consumed and purchased has changed. Okay. So, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a modification to that approach. And I'm lucky enough to where guys like you give me an opportunity to come on uh, your show and kind of talk about the cigars. So that that's a bigger part of it today, especially than maybe it was four or five years ago, even. You have a following, Mo, because a lot of people shared this show tonight. And I always yeah. look at that before a show. And sometimes just more shows are shared than others. This show was shared tonight. Um, I think that's a good testament. Um, when I look at that, I'm like, that's wow. People saying, you know, people share. And I'm always grateful if someone's just to say, hey, share what we're producing tonight. So that's right. so Mo, that's a, that you're doing something right with that. It's what I'm going to say, because you're, you're connecting with people. And I see big brands. Sometimes they complete. Like, there's a couple of big companies we've had on that have missed the boat with that. Sometimes we don't see that. So it's it's very good. Coop, I'm a big believer that if. You know, there's a. You attract a lot. What is that saying? You attract a lot more bees with honey or right. whatever it is. I, don't know, I think that's <laughs> right. the saying. So if the way I look at it is when I interact with people, I respect them. I don't, I try to be myself all the time. I don't put on a front. I don't try to be somebody I'm not like what I am is what I am for better or worse. And I think there's a lot of people that re like recognize that and also want to be a part of something like that because we live in a time where everything just seems to be like hype machines. And, and I'm not even talking about the cigar industry. I'm talking about everything. Uh, I mean, if you could run a stock like GameStop up to 300 something dollars because it's big on Reddit, you know, there's, there's, there's fundamental issues yep. uh, as a society. So I think when people see something that they can relate to, like, hey, man, this reminds me of a different time. This dealing with this person is straightforward. And not just on the consumer side, but the way we conduct ourselves with uh, growing patina and, and selling the cigars. Um, don't promise what you can't do. Do what you say you're going to do. And I think people want to be a part of that. So I've been very lucky on that end. That's good for you. When... Going back to pre Sutliff, um, and going back even to Mombacho, so you were in a national sales manager role, right? Um, you primarily, I would say, you were working with a broker model at the time, yep, still am. Okay, so yep. I was gonna say, but it's a little different now, the broker model, right? Would you say because now you have this other infrastructure behind you with, with Sutliff with the inside salespeople? Yes, it is to a certain extent for sure. Okay. Um, but the inside sales will will focus on places where I don't have a broker. Right. And, okay. You know, so that's what I was going to ask you. 
Yeah, and, and it's, I know it's going to be funny because you're normally like a sovereign nation, but you try to respect the sovereignty of a broker's territory, right? Sure, yeah. So you kind of got to treat each broker as kind of like being the king of their, uh, you know, the, of their kingdom. Yeah. Um, so you respect that sovereignty and then the inside sales will focus on areas where I don't have somebody. I, I just actually dealt with that on my day job this week, that same scenario mm -hmm. where um we have like areas that the field sales team uh, covers but there was mm -hmm. some there was some inside sales people doing some marketing to customers we talk to every day and and, sure. it, and it, it didn't go over well i'll be honest it was it, it, it know, upset at me and i'm like they had a right to do it so don't you guys have your house in order so I, mo that's a very important point i think you make with that so yeah. and you know this is we hear it all the time it's a relationship business so yeah yeah, for sure. And the thing is, if you if you try to undermine your brokers, I think that's a slippery slope. Right. Uh, my my thing is always trying to empower the people that represent the brand on a daily basis. Um, I don't like to step in on stuff. If the broker says something, I try to back them up unless they're wrong, of course. And we're all humans and we're sometimes wrong. Um, but that that's big for me because I think that uh, and let's be real, my my presence in a portfolio uh, is not going to to make or break a broker. So these guys that are repping the brand are doing it for a multitude of reasons beyond just money. And so we have to respect each other on that level. And I have to respect that, too. Right. So, uh, yeah, no, I agree with you because there's a lot of brands. And, and Mo, that's, I think, very important to kind of recognize that because I think there's a lot of brands and they think, hey, the, the broker could just devote 100 percent of their time it's impossible. and make a living. Yeah. it's And you've well, seen it. Yeah. You've impossible. seen it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to be realistic and you have to understand where you're at. You also have to understand what it's going to take to get to the next step. And you all have to be on board with how that's going to happen. And by the way, that'll vary even from territory to territory. Not every territory will will grow the same way or take the same things to achieve growth. If that makes sense. That, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you know, We don't sometimes realize it, but there are some big differences amongst various geographies throughout the country on how they consume cigars, how they buy cigars, what cigars they gravitate toward. So you got to be really, you got to have a broker and stuff that understands that. Yeah. And where you fit in. Yep. Sure. No, I get that too. I was going to, you know, I was going to ask you how, how the model has worked for you. It seems like you, you have found a way to make it work, which, which is very good. Cause I hear people yeah. get very frustrated sometimes with the broker model. Um, yeah, there are definitely frustrating things. I mean, anybody that you talk to that's going to be on this show thinks they make the best cigars, thinks that uh, their cigars should be selling more. Um, and that's natural to feel that way when when you've put something out. Uh, it takes a lot to step back and, and say, OK, wait, wait a minute, Let, let's get realistic about this for a second. And let's be real about where we really are. And as long as someone's giving it an honest effort and I'm doing what I can to support them, then I'm comfortable with whatever happens. We cannot control outcomes. We can only control the things uh, that we believe will lead to the outcomes that we want. Okay, yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree with you on that for sure. I definitely agree with you for sure on that. So uh, no, it's it's really good. So you'll be you'll be back at the uh, Sutliff booth this year at the PCA, right? Yep. 
Okay, mm-hmm. I, oh, I got to check. Yeah, the, the one thing I'll just say is the only here's the only thing. Can I can I make a, a, a suggestion here? Yeah, of course. Is there any way they can get your name on the company list? At the they trade did that game? for PCA. Yeah, yeah that, so, so we're, we're actually on the PCA list. Yeah. Okay, good. Because yep. the problem is, like, I think people didn't know. Like, I knew you would add, but there were other companies. Yep. I was, I walked in. And, oh, you guys are here. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you're you're spot on. That was something that we discussed, yep. and they've been able to achieve it. So that's good. Absolutely cool. Yep. That's good. That's good. So. uh so no, like I said, it's, it's like I said, and I think we're doing our show planning. And I don't think you're going to be day four again this year. So, <laughs> uh, I know. Yeah, I, yeah, any I, day, as long as you guys come by, we, it's always we, good to see you guys. We, we did Matilda after the show closed. Yeah, like we were we were in that booth another twenty minutes after afterwards. Right. Just so you know, and so yeah. I I think now uh, so Bear wants to do Matilda last every year. I'm like, well, That's maybe hilarious. we'll do. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, so like, well, kind of like one of those joke traditions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get it. But uh, it's always tough doing those last booths because we and and actually you guys were busy that that last day too. I'm like, I'm not just saying that you guys were busy like that last hour. I'm like, the whole booth so, was. You, you want to hear something interesting? Is and it'll probably be even more so this year as some of the bigger players start to come back to PCA. But a brand like mine is not typically what I call a day one brand. Mm. Uh, and what I mean by that is retailers typically will try to focus on the bigger guys, try to get their deals, make sure that they're trying to get whatever they need before stuff goes on back order. Um, and that's why you'll see on the back end, you know, the second, third, and last day where you'll see a little bit more action in a, in a booth like Sutliff, like, you know, for Patina or something like yeah. that. But do you find that, look, like people are in there day one for pipes, they see you, and sure. then some of them either stay or they come back, right? That's what Absolutely. They, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a cool that's cool to see that that you're right. But you and you in general, Mo, you just said it earlier, you're not one to kind of go crazy with deals. No, I, I believe in protecting your brand. Uh, by protecting your brand, you protect the people that carry your brand too. Yeah. Um, and I just look at it like if you're going to cheapen your product, then why wouldn't everybody cheapen your product? Yeah. Like you set the tone for the way people look at your your cigar. So, um, yeah, that's just something I've always felt from the beginning. Yeah, no, I, I respect you on that a lot. Um. But okay, so we talked a lot about Sutliff, but we talked a lot about you know the initial. But you've added the portfolio has expanded. I want to talk about some of the the things that have been added yeah. since we uh we last yeah. talked. And we'll start off, I guess, two thousand twenty. You, yeah. you finally add your Maduro as the third line, right? Yeah, a little bit of a mystery that blend, right? You haven't really talked much about that blend, but what can you tell us about that that you're able to share, maybe? Yeah, so that was when we were still uncertain about FDA stuff. So uh-huh. I kept that wasn't like I was trying to be cool. I okay. can assure you guys that's the last thing that I am. Um, but uh, and Aaron agrees, he's laughing. Uh, but you know, it's like um, it, it's a Mexican wrapper over uh-huh. a Connecticut broadleaf binder, and it's got Nicaragua and the U.S. and the fillers. So that's what that cigar is. Um, and interestingly, that blend was actually worked off of the double Toro, the six by 56. That was the first size. And then everything else came after that. That's the only time I've ever done that. So everything that, else has been Robusto Toro. So in terms of what you, that was blended in the six by 56 format. Yes. 
Yep. And the reason was, is I felt like I was missing those bigger ring gauge Maduro guys uh, that actually buy in the shop and sit around and smoke. Yeah. Uh, the tough part about that is it's not as strong as what those guys will typically buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at my Maduro as more of like you could smoke at any time of the day. And I wanted that versatility to be able to grab guys or, you know, ladies that don't normally smoke uh, Maduros. They'd be able to smoke that. And and your traditional Maduro guy or lady would still find it what they like as well. So I like to have a lot of crossover. Every every cigar that Patina does will always have that that eye to crossover appeal where it transcends this is what i normally like to smoke because it could appeal to your non-traditional uh smoker of whatever kind of cigar it is right right um and when you around this time you also started standal- standardizing the sizes so the core lines each have the same sizes correct yeah except for the connecticut the connecticut has a churchill that's right yeah so that that was which kind is, of yeah, which is like the most hit or miss Vitola I think in the history of cigars. That thing you, you'll be out of it, and then you'll be sitting on a bunch of it, and then you'll be out of it again, and then you'll be sitting on a bunch of it, and then it's out. It's insane. It it was real. It was really interesting. I I don't know if Jay's in the chat room. Jay and I had a whole conversation on Churchill's today on the phone. It was kind of interesting. <laughs> so yeah. The, yeah, yeah, just and it's a great size. I I, I think it's a nice size to have. Absolutely. Uh, That's my favorite size in that particular cigar. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a good. I've actually had that. Now you're remembering it. It is a very good uh, cigar. Um, And uh, like I said, I think this Maduro line, though, you really like Aaron's always about flavor. And I'm not going to speak for Aaron with his thoughts on the cigar. But this cigar was very much more about flavor, not about like an in your face Maduro. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I thought that was a big focus when you when for your whole move over to Noxa is that absolutely it was just a, a more of a focus on yeah. the, on the flavor driver than maybe you know a, a strength or balance level. So yeah, absolutely, it's all about you know, and as I look at it, like flavor over power. Yeah. Uh, if somebody can have a flavorful experience without destroying their palate, uh, that's kind of where you want to be at. And I always tell retailers too. These cigars are blended so somebody could pick up a cigar right after and smoke another one and still taste it. And and I always tell them, well, that's good for you, too, because if somebody <laughs> yeah. can smoke another cigar, right. that means they're going to go get another cigar. So uh, I, I always I will smoke the entire line front and back, you know, start with different things and try. And as long as I could still taste everything, then I feel comfortable with. And also, I'm a big believer in what I call functional testing of a blend meaning you test it under different conditions to see how it smokes. So not only when you're relaxed and you feel good, but how does it smoke when I'm driving? How does it smoke if I don't retrohale? How does it smoke if I'm sitting in a a colder climate or a really hot climate if it's the summer? So all of that kind of goes into it. Interesting. You know, I never, those are just like some use cases that I just, you know, very interesting that you go through those types of scenarios. Uh, As opposed to just going onto a table and smoking the cigars and, Stamping it like that, yeah. That's no, a very it's got to yeah. It's got to reflect. And I learned this when I moved to Noxa because that's when it really hit me. Because you know, as, as you evolve, you start to. But I'm like, holy cow! The way I smoke a cigar is probably representative of such a small portion 
of cigar smokers. And like, if you walk through any shop and you notice how people kind of enjoy their cigars or consume their cigars, they're not retrohaling every other puff. They're not retrohaling at all most times. Um, so you kind of have to step back and, and again, be more realistic of the conditions that your cigar will be consumed in. I want to actually, this is a really interesting thing you just said. I'm just really interested in it. So, you know, you're in Chicago, for example, right? Do you mm -hmm. actually smoke these cigars out in the cold? Like, you know, oh, yeah. okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Very interesting. That's very interesting because, like I said, just some of the weather conditions. Yeah. That's very, uh, that's interesting. That, that is very interesting. Yeah. What's some, what's like one of the more unusual scenarios you'll, you'll test it out under? I'm just curious. Uh, I, I think the cold. The cold sucks. I yeah. mean, it's just, you know, I mean, you're sitting there. I did a podcast one time uh, with the cigar group, and I was sitting in literally 30-degree weather in, in my garage. And they were like, man, you know, you're kind of like not being yourself. And I'm like, well, I'm freezing. Uh, yeah. You know, that that's part of it, right? So, uh, but, yeah, man, it smoking a cigar in the cold, and there's a lot of people, especially in the Midwest or even Northeast, that kind of brave the cold, so to smoke uh, cigars. And so that, yeah, that's a part of it for sure. I, I won't review a cigar outdoors. And I, some, I know some people have to, right? So I'm not criticizing mm -hmm. it, right? I just mm -hmm. prefer not to review it outdoors. And to me, I think the experience can vary sometimes is what I'm saying from indoor to outdoors. Especially if it's, if it's windy, you cannot, you cannot smoke a cigar yeah. and, and, and give it an honest opinion. You yeah. just can't. Yeah. No, I mean, especially like, like your oxidation, right? I just yeah. have the worst luck with a a larger ring gauge in the wind. Mm -hmm. It's just it's it's torture. You can't. Yeah. No, it's it's not enjoyable. Like that's how people are like. Oh, I want to go sit on the beach and have a cigar. Why? Yeah. <laughs> what? No. I, I, yeah, and then you know the opposite. Like uh, in the heat, I just oh, yeah. no interest in it. Like. It just, yeah. I, I don't get anything out of it. That's what I'm just saying. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. And, you know, it's like we talk about it. You know, your environment could greatly impact your enjoyment of a cigar. You could take your favorite cigar in the world and smoke it in an environment which is right. not comfortable for whatever reason, and you're not going to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, some people don't have a luxury of, of doing it, right? So they have to do sure. it outdoors, right? And, oh, I yeah, I'm yeah, 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 I'm smoking it. Yeah, and, and in a lot of ways, maybe someone reviewing a cigar the outdoors is better because they're actually in touch with maybe a more realistic scenario than sure. than someone like me in this in this Shangri La, so it is, or whatever you want. To call it. <laughs> yeah, but so, that's so, why I yeah, that's yeah, why I do yeah. what I do, Coop. Yeah, that's why I do what I do. That's why I do it the way that I so, do. So it. I don't. Now, so I, that wasn't a bad thing. I just think it's like I said. I think yeah. it's an interesting angle to do it. Yeah, to do to you kind of look to, at it. Yeah. yeah. You always got to be trying to reflect what, yeah. how people are going to be consuming it. Yeah. Now I'll say this: John's got I mean, John, one of John Metavich on Aaron's team, right? Yeah, up in Calgary. Aaron, has his scoring gone down since he's gone indoors? I, I don't think so, right? No, no. Oh, no. I'll brother, I'll brother. It has. I don't, I, I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think in any kind of you know meaningful yeah. way. No, and, and so yeah, this guy he's in Calgary and he was smoking like. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. He wouldn't be out there in the sub zero, but it would be cold or something. But now he's got an indoor yeah. room to smoke in. So, yeah. Uh, but I, I noticed his stuff's been pretty consistent. So yeah, that that's all good. And uh, I think one of the biggest ones, the biggest use case, is to not smoke the cigar to make your decision on it 
where you're actually manufacturing the cigar because nobody's uh, nobody's buying them and flying to Nicaragua to smoke them, right? So <laughs> you got to smoke them yeah. in the states. So we got to get to ship them, all that stuff, figure out yeah. how it smokes here, and then see if it's okay to go with. Right. Spot on, man. Eric Espinosa said that to me. He goes, these cigars, they don't taste the same. He actually said that. I, goes, I don't believe these cigars taste the same in Nicaragua and here. They don't. A lot of times. I mean, I, I remember I was on a trip with Ben at, in the Dominican, and mm-hmm. we, were, we were at this company, and uh, they gave us, there was a couple of cigars, and these were like amazing cigars, right? They were smoking amazing yeah. in the Dominican. We got back, and then we just started picking them up on our own. Like, this, you know, this ain't the same. I mean, they don't, it's just something was different. Right. It was hard to explain. It was very intangible. So the question is, for you, was it because of the environment, and you got caught up in the, in the experience, or was it actually the cigar smoke different, in your opinion? The you know it's a good question. It's a fair question. I ke- I want to say it was it was different, but I don't think it was. Yeah. I still think the environment. I still think the power of suggestion is a powerful tool. I, mm-hmm. I I really do. I mean, and Aaron and I see this a lot. And Aaron, again, I'm not putting words in here, but we see people love a brand because they love the person behind the brand. Absolutely. And yeah. and they'll settle for things sometimes that that. You know, maybe it's not as good. And we try to take that off. Sure, sure, so sure. It's possible. I, that's why I'm not going to I'm not going to rule it out. Yeah. But then I went back to what Eric said. He's like, no, they taste because I swear they taste different when 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 I when I take them back to Nicaragua. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's so, I, don't know, you, I don't know. Aaron, what you, I didn't want to put words in your mouth on that one, Aaron. But uh, no, I 100 percent agree. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. For for uh, for a lot of people, there's just. You know they have their inherent biases and that's yep. fine and yep. you know they like a brand and they want to smoke it they like a particular tobacco and all you have to do is tell them there's a particular tobacco in the blend that doesn't actually in the blend and they love it you know so yeah yep we, we yep yep we every cigar needs a story right so yep yep there you go exactly exactly and sometimes you have to have that hard reality is like some like i tell so like i tell someone every cigar can't be like you know top of the game something's got to be yeah. at the top something's gonna be at the bottom if you're ranking right. it so it's just it's it's that's what it is now mo we were talking about the maduro mm-hmm. you also came out with and this i tell you, this was the one that really went over well i know on our team on the coop team the mm-hmm. guy you know was mm-hmm. the sumatra mm-hmm. so and, and even with me like sumatra is really hit or miss with me and sure. this was like i smoked this this was great so talk a little about that sumatra that you did yeah, so that okay. So to me, the person who does Sumatra is the best is Pete Johnson, uh, Tatawai. Right. And so when it came to doing that cigar, and, and the same with the Maduro too, was do these compete? Because do these compete which with what I believe to be the benchmark of this particular wrapper right. or profile? And that, you know, so I was using the Kappa Special 7th and um, uh, Kahonu 2012 Sumatra as kind of the benchmarks in, in terms of, so we kept going on that Sumatra until I felt it got to a point where it can compete with those. Um, and that, that was really a big driving force. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a Sumatra Skiro from Ecuador uh, wrapper over a Connecticut Broadleaf binder. And that's got U.S. and Nicaragua in the fillers. 
Nice, nice. And it seems like from talking to people at Noxa, like no, who work with Noxa, like and I'm thinking of Ian is one, for example, mm-hmm. with Dapper uh, and Sokka is Sokka. But it seems like that this factory does give you some, they don't just hand you the blend, right? You guys, you get your opportunity to really give a lot of input into this too. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I, I, any cigar we come out with is, yeah, you know, me and Raul, yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, I think it definitely shows with that too. Um, so yeah, no, which has become like the workhorse uh, line at this point for you? Like the, the one Connecticut. It's still the Connecticut. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. As much as people like to talk tough about all the strong cigars they smoke, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> reality would dictate otherwise. Yeah. I think yeah. If, if you really want to make it, you got to have a good Connecticut. Agreed. Or, yeah. you know, you really do. I think, uh, the fact that the Connecticut is the driving force gives me hope that we could be here for a long time. I see a lot of companies sometimes when they're, I always like to watch the organic growth of a company uh, with their blends. Mm-hmm. And a lot of companies will stay away from a Connecticut as their first release, but you went into it, you did make it your first release. Um, but a lot of companies, they, they shy away from it and then they maybe get into it like their third or fourth release and sure. it's hard to win people over. Sometimes they do, sometimes they do well, but sometimes, you know, they don't, if they're soccer, yeah. you can do it is what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that was just my experience in retail too. You know, you realize like, wow, a lot of people that buy boxes, they're like yeah. mild to medium cigars. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, we should probably, Connecticut should probably be the, the first thing we come out with. Yeah. That's really where it originated from. Yeah. Wow. It's interesting. Yeah. Because I, I, I never really liked Connecticut when I was like from a business perspective. And then I was like, all right, well, we got to make a Connecticut that I actually, yeah. you know, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Aaron is probably, I, I think he's the most knowledgeable guy out there when it, in, in the media when it comes to Connecticut's. Uh, he just, uh, he knows his Connecticut's really well. Mm-hmm. I know he's demanding yeah. on them. So. So, I think it, because I think Connecticut's is the, I think a Connecticut wrapped cigar is the hardest cigar to hide a bad blend Agreed. yeah yeah you know i think in other wrappers you can get away with uh you know maybe sure. a, not not having the greatest blend but the wrapper can be strong enough that it's gonna really you know bring it together but i think yeah. with connecticut there's just you know there's so many things that you're gonna get like you know you know a lot of dryness maybe that burning paper notes things like that like you really have to put together a good blend to have uh connecticut that people are gonna really like so I, 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 that's kind of like my measuring stick for a lot of brands is like you, when you do the Connecticut and you do it right, you, you've got something going on. And, you know, that that's you grab my attention. And, you know, I'm looking for other stuff that you can do as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny when Aaron smokes a Connecticut or when, when a Connecticut comes out, I, I always kind of looked at I always look two ways. Either kind of curious if Aaron has smoked it. Right. Because I really want to get I respect his opinion. The other mm-hmm. way is if I smoke it first, I'm more curious to see Aaron. Have you tried this yet? I'm kind of <laughs> curious to get his take on it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, he just is really he just really knows a, a Connecticut on that. And uh, yeah. I, for all the crap Aaron takes on his scoring, I usually he's usually not far off on a lot when it comes to the Connecticut with me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, so, you know, Mo, you have these four core lines. And, and I think one thing that, I again, I love is that you've built the core lines. Uh, and I've gotten over the years, just as I've gotten older, just respect the company that's kind of doing a lot of doing it with the core lines. But this year, you did finally release your first limited edition. Yeah. So you, finally, you finally did it this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just felt like, okay, so it's what I look at. Yeah. 
how how have the guys that have been doing this for a long time? What are some of the things that they've done, and how do they structure? So I remember one of my favorite cigars of all time was the Don Pepin twenty thirteen, which was a five year anniversary for oh the, yeah that, uh, yeah remember that, that cigar, cigar. The, the great the blue cigar. van and. I was like, okay, you know what? That's a good time to stop and, and say, hey, you know what we've done? We've been here for five years, which is probably about four four longer than most people thought we would. So let's uh, let's celebrate this. And um, that's really what, what it was. And then the inspiration uh, to do the Connecticut Broadleaf was because it is, um, even though being at Noxa, it is available uh, and readily available, I wasn't sure what that broadleaf has been so hit or miss yeah. uh, in terms of availability. So again, going back to what we had discussed earlier, I was like, okay, well, we could use the broadleaf for the uh, the limited, and so that's kind of what how it was born. Right, and it, it is a true limited, right? So it's one and done. Yeah, it's one and done. I okay. mean, it's never going to be in a six by fifty two again. That's for sure. Okay, so but it's still I still consider each but but in my book, if you if you did it in another size, I still would not con I would consider the six by fifty two one and done. So no one and done. Yes, yeah. I no none of them are going to be found in the back of a factory. Holy cow! Look at this. Um, <laughs> Good this man. Good no, man. This is it. You I have mean, to respect. You have to respect the art of this. This is an art. This is a. Um, this is something that people have been doing for a very long time. You got to respect that aspect, in, in my opinion. So I was going to ask you about that. So in terms of that, you, you, you see all these limited editions out there, right? Um, I, I don't know if I'm the right guy to ask about this because I do have strong <laughs> opinions. I want this. Right. That's what we want. No, that's what we want. That's what we want. Because I, I just like I see these and I know it's like, you know, you just you weren't even down at the factory, yet, you know, <laughs> Uh, it, it, it looks like and tastes like something else, you know? So, so, so yeah, I mean, I just think, and we're going to do something at the end of the show, Mo, called Jump the Shark, right? Okay. And I didn't put limited editions on there because everyone knows I think limited editions jumped the shark a long time ago. So, uh, I'm just kind of curious. So give us, give us, yeah, give us your take on it. Uh, go ahead. Well, okay. So we had seen limited editions really since the mid 2010s start to grab a hold a little bit more and more. And if you look at it from a business perspective, it makes perfect sense, right? It's a quick, it's a, a relatively fast way to turn product and get cash. But let's be honest. Um, now, what ends up happening, which hurts not only your brand, but the retailer and your relationship with a retailer, depending on how you sell your limited. So if I say to you, you can get my limited, but only if you buy XYZ or the core line and you got to buy this much of it to get it, what you're doing is essentially channel stuffing the retailer to get this limited. And yep. then that ends up kind of hurting, hurting everybody. And what we've seen over the past, especially three years since COVID, when it made a lot of sense because people were at home, they were smoking a lot more cigars and they were chasing limited stuff. The market, let's be clear, the market called for limited the last couple of years. They really did. Whether we wanted yeah. to acknowledge that or not, the consumer was saying, give me limited. And you always got to be listening to what the market is telling. Right. 
Now, I never took advantage of it because I'm stupid, but I just it wasn't part of my long term what I wanted to build because I figure if I'm going to be around for a long time, the core line's got to carry the weight. Right. So there's nothing wrong with how somebody decides to build their brand. In terms of how I see the effects, though, they're very real. Because now that the retailer has inventory that they're having trouble moving, they're not going to be able to bring in a new brand or reorder some of your stuff because now they're sitting on too much of this other stuff. And so it kind of throws a little bit of everything off, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I'm 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 a hundred percent on board with this. So I yep. I've agreed. I've kind of said this in one form or another too. I, I agree with you on this hundred percent. So in terms of an artistic expression of limited and how you want to do that and build your brand, nobody should be able to tell you how to do that. But there are real consequences as a result of that for the market at large. But if you were if you were responding to what the consumer was telling you, you would have definitely stacked limited the last two or three years. That would just make sense. Sure. I mean, have you ever been tempted like, OK, a trade show, for example, right? Mm -hmm. going into a trade show and everyone wants what's new and what's the easiest yes. way to deliver what's new. I'll yep. get a limited. I'll, I'll find something in the factory. I don't have to put a lot of uh, development time into it. I, I can have limited marketing. I mean, have you been tempted to do that? And you, but you've seen, you've resisted obviously to do that. I mean, you're always tempted for, for yeah. that. I mean, any way that you could, I mean, look, man, it's not sunshine and rainbows out there. And especially yeah. now as we kind of near, an economic downturn, you're, you're looking for different ways to do things. Um, but I, I have resisted that temptation because I don't want to give myself a false impression of where I'm at. Yeah. Okay. So I want my growth to be organic. I never had that huge jump the last couple of years. I've literally just kept growing little by little every single year. And that that's really what it's about for me now. You know, the limited on the fifth anniversary, that celebrated something. Now, one thing I will say is Romacraft does a really cool thing where they'll come out with limited Vitolas of a cigar that they already make uh, once a year, whatnot. I think that's a great idea. I could see myself maybe doing something like that um, because different retailers do better with different uh, Vitolas and, and whatnot. And so that that's something that I could see potentially. But in terms of just limited, limited, I, that's just not how I look at um sustainable growth no i agree and like you know forget you just talked about the connecticut as a great example and you, mm -hmm. you come up with this cool size of it not a lancero but uh maybe something better no, but, not the non lanceros no. coop shut up <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the lancero hater by the way i'm the lancero hater on this show yeah i i gotta you gotta listen to the market too <laughs> yeah like yeah. i know one size that i've had multiple 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 requests for is a corona gorda in the connecticut yeah is that something that I could see us releasing maybe one time a year in, in a few hundred boxes? Sure. Why not? Because you know what? If that's what your customer wants and you're not bastardizing your brand in doing right. it, I can, that makes sense. Okay, cool, man. I can, I can see something like that. But I, what I don't want is I'm going to make you as a retailer buy all of this stuff just to get my limited and then I screw myself. Yeah. Sure. That no, it's a, it's a great point you made. So I'll ask you this question. I'm kind of curious. Yeah. I mean, we see a lot of companies, they take on the uh, private label shop exclusive thing. And, and mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that? 
like how is that is that a, a good thing or a bad thing how do you because i look at something very similar to what you just talked about uh, as a problem um okay wait. so do you mean that they make a house blend for a particular store or do you mean that they make a particular cigar for a particular store they make so in your case they would make a patina you would make a patina branded cigar for that one store if that yeah so not not an unbanded one but like a patina yeah, branded yeah, yeah. one yeah. um when it's done right i don't like pete johnson mastered that sure and and built a lot of uh a massive following for his brand as a result and continue to make great cigars beyond just those limiteds for a different shop so if you could execute it properly i don't see a problem do i think again um now today's market is different than it was back then so you have to be cognizant of that too uh, but i think if you do it the right way um it could be beneficial um but it could also put you in awkward situations with people you don't do stuff for so you know there's that too i mean so you just kind of got to weigh the pros and cons of that. So, and here's why I asked that because it was one manufacturer, their sales director told me this is like, they went and sold like 200 boxes to a store of, of their okay. blend, right? Mm -hmm. And they got a nice check for it, right? Sure. But what happened is all the regular production stuff was sitting on the shelf because they were pushing that cigar and they didn't really have budget to buy more of the other stuff. So... That, that's in, in Coop, that's 100% of what we've been talking about for the yeah. last 10 or 15 minutes. Exactly. That's why if, I thought of the question. If, yeah. you're, if you're going to do something that ultimately is going to not benefit you, the fat money that comes quick goes quick. I remember I did an interview with Bovida at PCA 20, what last year? Was that 2022? Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't even know. What you, uh, but 2022. And, and I, you guys know Rob, maybe. Yep. Yep. And he asked me a question. He said, if I gave you $250,000 right now, what would you do with it? And I said, sit on it. And he couldn't believe it. And I hope he plays this clip because they've been playing some of those. But my reasoning was the economic environment was changing. Cash was going to be more important than ever. Because uh, the Federal Reserve basically told you we're going to be raising interest rates, meaning money was going to be harder yeah. to borrow and yeah. it was going to cost you more to borrow. So I'm like, all right. So I can understand certainly why people are doing it. That makes perfect sense as to why. But you also have to be okay with the consequences of that. And that's my thing. And that's why I don't do it because I... I just don't think the consequences will be worth the the quick turn. Yeah, no, I I uh, I I think the same way on that for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, have you been up to the Boba headquarters by the way in Minnesota? Not yet. But oh, you I got to go there. I went there in December. Yeah. Uh, they were yeah. Robert's at. It's a cool place to hang out. There's they're really yeah, fantastic. Guys. They let yeah. you hang out there. You can smoke yeah. anywhere there, which is cool. So it's a it's kind mm -hmm. of in a it's kind of in this office park, but it kind of has the whole Minnesota vibe to it. With like sure. forests and stuff yeah, yeah. it's cool yeah it's kind of yeah cool. no great great guys and, yeah. and it was a good conversation but you know i mean you just again being realistic about where you're at yeah. and you know we're going to do a core line we're going to have another core line planned hopefully for um the beginning of uh 2024 and hopefully we'll be ready by pca next year which will be uh, a nicaraguan puro 
Nice. Um, I, I felt, again, you know, we talk about where do you think the next logical step is? You know, kind of like a, an homage to Nicaragua, come out with a Puro. A lot of my cigars use tobaccos from three different places. I'm like, all right, it's time to do a, a Puro from Nicaragua. It, it's so. kind of full circle for you because you started with a <laughs> production company. <laughs> That that was exactly. that's what they did, and you, but you haven't yes. gotten it. But now you kind of go yep. back to that, which is kind of cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Hey, Aaron, do you have anything else we want to add? We can get to some of the other stuff with Mo. Uh, as yeah, well. I think we're, I think we're good to go. All right. So Mo, a few things, um, and then we're gonna do it. Uh, we have we have uh, we'll wrap up this segment, and then we have uh, a short break. We'll do the baseball. And then I want you to stay for the uh, jump the shark piece if you, if you want. You, you won't get in trouble with that. So, no, it sounds good. All right. So, first, I have a couple of questions before we get the break. So, this is our cattle baron steak question of the night. Now, it's related to steak, but I, I, I kind of changed it tonight to, to meat uh, because you're from Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. And look, Chicago dog, the Chicago hot dog is, is great, right? But I want to know basically what is your ideal hot dog? Is it the Chicago dog or is it something else? It, it really depends. Okay. Uh, depends on my mood. It's like a cigar. Yeah. You know, what's my preference at that yeah. particular time? My, if I don't want all of that stuff on it, my default is typically just mustard. Now, what's purely unacceptable at any time, <laughs> no matter what the conditions, is ketchup on your hot dog. That, is, <laughs> that should be illegal. That should be somewhere in, um, in the, you know, law. But the Constitution, anyway, uh, the Constitution, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got to be the Bill of Rights at least. So, um, but my default is mustard and what we call jardinera, which is like a hot pepper mix. Oh yeah, is, is uh, famous you, for. It makes your mouth swat, like the salt that comes kind of comes right through. It's amazing. Yeah, oh, I put jardinera on everything, hamburgers. Hot dogs, pizza. Um, I almost see. I probably need yeah. to start carrying it with me on the road too. <laughs> but but the Jardinera out of Chicago, it, it's there's nothing like it out of Chicago. Is what I'm going to yeah. tell you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you mentioned we mentioned a Chicago hot dog. To me, that is the most finicky type of hot dog because if the sure. ingredients are not right on that, it is Correct. awful. Yeah, hundred percent. You have to have yeah. good ingredients from top to everything from the bun to the meats yep. to the top, and you can't you can't. You could skimp maybe in, I'll be honest, New York, you could kind of deviate a little more, but you you can't with a Chicago dog. You can't. It's got to be done right or yeah. else it's going to suck. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, definitely no no ketchup. Uh, I, I never saw I, uh, Eric from Dojo put up that hot dog with the ketchup once, and he just mm. got crucified <laughs> on social media. Worse than the pineapple pizza people. I mean, it was bad. <laughs> That's on the 12 and under section of the menu. Oh, that's pretty much yeah, what they yeah. told us. It, beco- it becomes unacceptable as an adult. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, exactly. Eric, and by the way, Eric's a fantastic guy. So no, he is. He is. He took, yeah. he took it. He took it like uh, very well. He held his. Yeah. He held, he held his position. I'm like, look, you can put on whatever you want, but right. not like this is this is yeah. like an eight year old. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. All right, this next segment, uh, before we go to break, this is uh, our Tobacco Lawyer USA Ties That Bind segment, and it's sponsored by Tobacco Lawyer USA, making of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman, and Easy Groom Cigars. Tobacco Lawyer USA, great things are happening here. So this is called the Ties That Bind, Mo, and um, okay. it's named for the Bruce Springsteen song, the Ties That Bind. Okay. And what I'm going to do is uh, I am going to name three things for you, 
And you have to tell me what all three of these things have in common. Okay. Okay. So there's a tie that binds them. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, and, and I actually just, you know, I actually come up with all these on my own. I don't like go Google something. All okay. Right. So if it's a, you can let me know if it sucks too. Like, I don't mind. Yeah, that. no, that's fine. Am I going to have to do like a Venn diagram here? No, no. This is, I think oh, you okay. can see where they all cross. And I don't tell Aaron, right. I, I don't tell Aaron it. I mean, unless he wants me to know ahead, I'll tell him, but I usually yeah, don't yeah. tell Aaron this either, but he usually is able to get it. He, he, I think, knows how I think with this. All so right. here are the three things. Okay. The first thing is a hockey game. Okay. The second thing is a cake. Okay. And the third sure. thing is a road that you drive on. What do Are they you all have? You got it. I, no. I, I, oh. I just came up with that too. I just saw that when I saw him. I was like, all right, yeah. that's really good. Okay. You, got it. you two guys are great because I, I have test run these questions with people in my house, right? And no one got this one, right? And some of the other ones they got, they didn't get that one. So that's a good job. It's all yeah. icing. Yep. I thought the hockey, if you're not a hockey guy, that could be the one that throws you. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but that is correct. It, they all have icing to it. Good job. Good job. All right. So we're going to take a break. And then, Mo, the next day we'll talk some baseball here. So I'm just going to mm – -hmm. if you need to stretch for a minute, but I'm going to do a, a couple of commercial reads. Be you got minutes. it. All right. A little facility break. Yep, no problem. So uh, <laughs> uh, first I want to mention Tailored Smoke, located in the heart of downtown Charlotte's epicenter and now outside the Charlotte Motor Speedway in Concord, North Carolina. Tailored Smoke is your one-stop shop for a tailored smoking experience. And by Jerry Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars in Cuba, it was a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it is one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamastron Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with JRE Tobacco, Julio and Husso bring their very own brand to market, each containing the authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Candela. And each represent the golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. They're available at your local retailer. Be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every draw. And of course, we want to mention Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, they take pride in the fact that they are cigar fanatics just like you. That's why you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, they have special limited edition cigars available exclusively to Corona Cigar Company from famous international cigar makers such as Padron, Aganorsa Leaf, and Drew Estate. They have the best selection, the best customer service, and money-saving discount cigar prices. But don't just take their word for it. Forbes magazine selected Corona Cigar Company as best of the web. Corona Cigar was voted a top five internet cigar retailer by Smoke Magazine. And Cigar Aficionado wrote, Corona Cigar Company, the largest best stock cigar shops in America. You can place an order online at Corona Cigars uh, website or visit one of Corona's four central Florida cigar superstores and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. 
And again, we'll just mention our friends at Cavalier Cigars. Smoke gold and stay gold and join that inner circle at Cavalier Cigars on their Instagram page at Cavalier underscore cigars. And of course, that Facebook uh, page, Cavalier Geneve Cigars. Again, Geneve, G-E-N-E-V-E. Of course, visit your local tobacconist. Join that movement that is Cavalier Cigars. They are consistently regarded by cigar lovers everywhere, as, high, as well as high ratings by the cigar industry press. Follow them again on their Instagram page because you'll uh, they do some very unique giveaways throughout the whole year. Uh, it's Cavalier underscore cigars Instagram. Cavalier Cigars, smoke gold, stay gold. And we're going to get to our Alec Bradley Live True segment sponsored by Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley. Visit alecbradley.com to find out more about their cigars. Live True. So, Mo, this is the Live True segment. We kind of take a step back and we kind of do some more stuff that's not totally cigars here. And, you know, we were All messaging right. and you said, hey, I'm looking forward to talking baseball, right? Yeah. So I put baseball in here. I never get an argument from Aaron about this, right? No. <laughs> so, Aaron, who's your team? Uh, I don't really have a team, but I, I default to the A's just because they're local. Oh, man. You know, it's funny. I actually wanted to talk about that situation. Go ahead. Let's do, it. Let's do it. Yeah, because I have, I have something I want to talk about Aaron about that, too. So go ahead. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, I get it when they say that Oakland Coliseum, it literally could be like a Roman Coliseum because they're about the same age. That's I right. get all that. But I mean, you're talking about a franchise, at least when I was growing up, uh, you know, between Jose Canseco and Ricky Henderson and Mark McGuire and Bob Welch and Dave Stewart and Dennis Ecclesbury. I mean, you know, the, and the list goes on. Yeah. Uh, Dave Henderson, my guy. So it's really just sad to see the point that they've got. Yeah. And um, I think that they, they've just had really uh, frugal ownership for so long and they've got, they've had front row seats to watch the, the Raiders leave and come back and leave again. And then the Warriors leave, yeah. um, you know, and seeing like, you know, they, they have the ability now to have, you know, have the city, as their own, like they don't have yeah. to share it with any other sports teams for so long. They had to share the stadium with the Raiders and it right. was, that caused them to have a, you know, poorly rated stadium because of all that. But they had the opportunity, right. they have the opportunity to build the stadium the way they want it um, and really have the city to themselves. Um, I just think that, you know, other cities like Las Vegas are, you know, you know, offering them things. And mm -hmm. um, I just, you know, but, a city like Las Vegas, it's not, you don't have any hometown fans. You, it's all like, it, yeah. it's all uh, people that are traveling to the team and things 100%. like that. It, yeah. yeah. So it's all vacation fans kind of a thing, mm -hmm. is what I, how it's called, yeah. I guess. So it's sad, you know, it is. but uh, it is. And it's very sad. Uh, you mentioned some of those players, Mo, mm -hmm. and they were great. And they were great players. I mean, and I remember, yeah. I remember the teams in the seventies. In the I'm old enough to remember the, some of those really great teams. Um, yeah, I just watched the Reggie documentary, and it, you know, all through that, it was like um, fantastic. Yeah, I you know, gotta people, watch that. Oh, you yeah, gotta watch it's it. It's, it's, it's great. Good. It was. Really Did you well guys done. watch the Nolan Ryan one? Yes, I have not yet. Yeah. Okay, worth watching for sure. Okay, all yeah, right. Those, those two are both Express. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're both okay. great. Yeah, no, it was Aaron. So you were at a game this weekend. Um, I was there on Sunday. Yeah, you were there on Sunday against the Reds, right? Yeah. And, and okay, so I got to give you, I got to go bear on you for a second. Okay. So Aaron <laughs> sent us a video of his daughter uh, when the when when they hit a walk off home run to to win that game, and I tell you what, that's the that was like a bear moment. Like seeing your daughter's reaction to yeah. that home run was was it was beautiful, but there was a sadness to me that like in a few years that's not going to be. 
you know, in your backyard anymore. I kind of looked at that. I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm lucky enough that I'm, I could go to San Francisco if I want to, it's not as convenient for me as Oakland is. No. Um, so I'm not going to go as much as I would have gone to an Oakland game. And the other difference to that is that going to an A's game is much cheaper than going to a Giants game. Like right. yeah. by a huge, a huge margin, like yeah. San Francisco. Um, and it's not because like the team deserves the high price tickets. It's just because of the environment, San Francisco mm-hmm. has a ton of tech money there. A lot of people are mm-hmm. living there because of the climate with all that, you know, with where the money's at. And so they can charge more and that's what happens. So, um, I mean, they do have a much better stadium. It's nicer to go to all that stuff. But I I just enjoy an A's game more because I just feel like kind of what we were talking about of what the fans would be like in Las Vegas. When you go to an A's game, their A's fans are there. When you go to a Giants game, you have people that are in the city. That's that's the difference. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That, that's um, like the Cubs and White Sox, too. Yeah. Yeah. The Mets and the Yankees were very similar because they they were geographically they're in different parts of the city. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Mets draw from Long Island and the outer boroughs and the Yankees draw from the Bronx and, and Manhattan and Jersey yep. uh, is what you'll see. So, yeah, you see that. Um, Mo, you just mentioned, so you're, you know, we, we obviously see you're a White Sox fan. Mm-hmm. What the hell has happened? I mean, two years ago, this yeah. team, everyone was looking at this team as going to the next level. I mean, I think we did some baseball predictions. I think a couple on our panel had the White Sox last year going to the World Series, and it's gotten bad yeah. right now. What what has gone wrong there? Um, I, I think it just can't stay healthy, and there's no there's no real everyday player who's a leader on that right. team. They're just lacking uh, leadership and in an identity, you know. And if you look at the teams that win. They have at least two or three guys that you could look at and say, these are the leaders of the team. And they also have an identity in how they win um, and, and what the things that they do. And they do the little things. Uh, they take an extra base when it's available. They don't make errors. Um, they, uh, they hit well with runners in scoring position. They hit the cutoff man when they're supposed to hit the cutoff man. Little things like that over a 162-game season can make or break your entire chances. And the White Sox are not good at any of those, regardless of how good their talent is. No, it's a, it's a shame because I remember the uh, the COVID year, that's when they kind of came up and they, they, got mm-hmm. into the play, they got knocked out in the first round. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they did well in 2021, but last year it came com- – I mean, the, the issues with yeah. Russo weren't – didn't help any. And now – Yeah. I mean, they're, this year's bad. I mean, it's their fourth place right now, I think, in that division. Yeah. I just went to the game the other night, um, and I'm, I'm just like, why am I here? But I just – I love them, man. You can't – Yeah. It's one of those things. You know, yeah, I want to punch myself sometimes, but what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> is in Chicago, is it very much a north-south type thing with the White Sox and, and the um, Cubs? It's pretty much everyone's Cubs, and then there's like a few of us that have, you know, uh, some sort of mental issue uh, in our White Sox fans. How was it in 2005 when they won it, right? Was it, did it change a little that year? Because uh, I, I, uh, I always thought it was Cubs, more of a Cubs city too. It is, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I always liken it the and why I root for the Mets, by the way, is because I view the Mets as the as the New York White Sox. <laughs> so um, that's why I've always been kind of 
parcel to the Mets. Uh, although I always respect what the Yankees have done. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a Cubs city. And WGN was a big part of that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got I, in the, in the late eighties is when we finally got WGN in New York. Yeah. Was, they were still doing a lot of day games uh, at mm-hmm. Wrigley. So we got, we got Cubs and Bra- Braves. We got out of uh, TBS at the time. Yeah. And so, if you go through the South, you know, you have so many Braves fans in different areas because of the Superstation. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, even I was watching Braves games as a kid in Chicago because mm-hmm. of the, you yeah. know. Yeah, I, I remember the, the big thing that happened to us in New York. Uh, and I was a Phillies fan, but um, the Yankees were always on. And um, they went to MSG before a lot of the city even was wired for cable. And that was really? very controversial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People thought they were crazy to do it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it ended up working out in the long run. Then they built the Yes sure. Network after that. But, yeah, it was like for a while, a lot of people were – because a lot of – we just weren't wired for cable. For Yeah. I, I was – at the time, I lived on Staten Island, and it's kind of the most outer borough, and we had mm-hmm. no cable. You couldn't get cable. Yeah. yeah. So – and then when we got it, it was a great thing. When we got – like I said, the WGN games came in and everything. Yeah. But I didn't have to pay for those. Like I had to convince my, my parents to buy uh, – buy some of these ESPN and stuff at that point. So, right. Yeah. So I could the only way I could go Phillies. though, I always, I get them on the radio at night because the, mm-hmm. the signal would come up to New York at Staten Island at night. So I could get, I could right. get so I grew up on the radio with them. But well, that being said, who's your favorite player of all time? If you're taught, like when I answer that question, it's who am I going to stop? what I'm doing, and if it's on TV, I'm going to watch them play. Now, that's a lot easier with the NBA than it is baseball, just yes. because even your, even if your favorite player is a position player, he's probably going to bat four times, right? Yeah. Maybe five, if, yeah. and sometimes yeah. three if they're getting shot. So for me today, that's two guys, three guys. Uh, Bryce Harper. Yes. Mike Trout and Luis Robert, even though Luis Roberts had a little bit of a rough start. Yeah. Historically speaking, it was uh, Frank Thomas and Ryan Sandberg. Wow. Yeah. Well, Ryan, I have a very bad taste with Ryan Sandberg <laughs> from the Phillies. He, you yeah. know, we fired Charlie, right? Because mm-hmm. we were worried about losing Ryan. And Charlie, I get it. He was, but I don't think he, but. Even at the time when he got fired, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm glad we're going to get Sandberg. And, it, 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 you know, sometimes guys just aren't cut out to be managers, unfortunately. And it was he just wasn't cut out for it. I it, it, Look, if I'm starting a Major League Baseball team, I'm starting with a former catcher or a position player uh, who was not a superstar. Yep. Superstars, no matter the sport, typically don't make good coaches or managers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to be an effective manager, you have to be able to um, – relate to the whole spectrum of players including role players and things and i think that super former superstars have a tough time doing that oh my goodness so i know aaron you're not a hockey guy right i don't know if you're hockey wayne gretzky is the ultimate example of that mm-hmm. he sure. was an awful head coach uh in the nhl it was yeah, it mean, was painful though it was painful yeah to see that how is a guy like wayne gretzky to ever relate to the third line yeah, that's yeah, just not gonna happen. You're right. That's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> What's he gonna tell him? <laughs> no, do better. Like, yeah. Shit. 
<laughs> I mean, I yeah. guess the guy in baseball who's done it. Um, there's two guys I can think of who did it. Okay. Joe Torrey, but it took him a while to get there. Yeah. And Dusty. Because I remember Dusty playing for the Dodgers. And he was a mm-hmm. good player. He wasn't a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he wasn't, a, he wasn't a superstar. Yeah. But he was a, yeah, but, he, but we knew who Dusty, everyone who knew who Dusty was. You watched them enough. Yeah. But I'm trying, I can't sure. think of another one. I'm trying but to But Dusty was not a superstar player. Yeah. Right. He was, a, he was a good player. Yeah. Good play. Good players are fine. Superstars, guys. Can you imagine Michael Jordan trying to coach? Forget <laughs> it. I think he... You can't even own a team, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other one I'm thinking, Bart Starr, was another one. I mean, he mm-hmm. was like, he was awful with with the Packers as a coach. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. but a, an unbelievable player. Yeah, that's a yeah. I'm trying to. I don't think now Larry Bird was a solid coach and a solid front office guy. Yeah, but he didn't do it very long. He knew to but get out. Old, he he knew know, to get out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Isaiah Thomas wasn't that bad as a coach either, but again, not did not last long. He got crucified in New York, but that was mm-hmm. be- it wasn't because of his coaching. It was yeah. all the stuff off the court that got him into right. trouble there. That people just yeah, there was just a lot of crap going on in, in the garden. That yeah, but yeah, but yeah, that's a that's a very uh, I I can't think. Of, oh, I'm trying to think of. Oh, did, I'm trying to think who managed. Did Ted Williams manage Aaron? Mm, I don't know if he managed or not. Yeah, wasn't Ty Cobb a manager for a while? Oh, I'm sure at some way back then. Yeah, I yeah. believe Babe Ruth was for a while too. Yeah, and yeah. as you know, those don't last. Well, long. okay, Pete Pete Rose. He yeah, a, okay. Pete Rose is one that but he was the he, worst manager of all time. Yeah, <laughs> they, got, I mean, they kicked his ass out of baseball forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was a, when he was managing, he was decent. And then yeah. it's funny he he gets because well, he could he could put himself in if he fucking wanted to to hit. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets he gets thrown out of baseball, and Lou Pinella goes and uh, wins the World Series. And Lou Pinella again, he was not right. he was like right. a popular guy not, yeah. in New York, but not at all like not a superstar. Right, yeah. right. Well, here, yeah, I mean like. uh Frank Robinson, right, would be a good example, right? He was not a he was not a good manager. Fantastic player, not a good manager. Mm-hmm. No. You're gonna have a lot more examples of that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Joe Girardi's a pretty solid manager, was a decent player. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Boone, decent manager, decent player. Uh David Ross, the manager of the Cubs. Yeah, solid player, but a catcher and wasn't a superstar. Yep. Yep. Uh, Ozzie Gian, not a superstar. Ozzie Gian was not a superstar. Not a right. superstar, right? And uh, yeah, there was was there talk about bringing him back, Ozzie, at one point? Uh, I, I think, like, this, yeah. yeah this, I don't think there was any legs to it. Okay, I he's remember. A, I was hearing, by, yeah. by the way, he's a he's phenomenal on pregame and postgame, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, I, I know Bear hates me for saying this. I think A Rod's good on on on. on on the, the studio really role. i do think that's gotta good. be a minority opinion yeah right? he he had a lot of I, good yeah, in, I, look i know maybe because he was pro phillies but he had a lot of good things to say uh like a lot of good analysis on the phillies last year so i i'll mm-hmm. give him that uh i, I guess I ortiz say, yeah ortiz has gone good into the booth i think he's done a good yeah. job i would say this though that historically uh i think as time moves on i think we're going to look back at bryce harper as being underappreciated well, you know, even when he was being courted for the Phillies, I didn't think they would get him. I thought it was going to be a disaster. I, yeah. I thought it was going to be an absolute disaster. And and I think what happened is the guy started to really mature at the right time. Off off 
off the uh, field, and he's the I, I never buy a player jersey, and he is uh, the like that's the first time I ever bought a player jersey. The problem I mean, is I who, don't wear it because it's bad luck. Who plays harder than that guy? No, I, I'm worried they brought him back too soon. I'm like I'm, I think that he kind of worked hard the rehab, but I'm worried he came back mm-hmm. too soon. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, no, he's great. Yeah. Um, so and I said if Kyle Schwarber wins the home run title this year, I'm going to buy his jersey. So if he wins, yeah, he goes another NL home run. I'll buy because I think he's a great influence in the locker room. So he's another undervalued guy, and I think that's because he's a defensive liability somewhat. Yeah. But now with the DH in both leagues, right. well, look, I was Aaron will tell you I was anti DH, okay, mm-hmm. for the NL. I did not want it. I won't lie to you; we would not have gotten to the World Series without that DH. No, you wouldn't. There would be no World Series run without the DH. So I got quieted pretty – I'm being completely honest here. Yeah. yeah. You can can accept it but not like it. I Mm -hmm. I can – yeah, I can say, look, obviously it worked that for us that year because we got that extra bat. I think that was key. We we were able to play Harper. That was the key thing because Harper wouldn't have been able to play if there was no DH. Yeah. Yeah. He was hurt, so he couldn't – he would have been out. So I look at that. I'm like, wow, you know, wow, the DH really worked here. I, I, I hate it, but yeah. I, I think the DH in both leagues is great, and, and I love this, these new rules. Uh, the game just moves along, yeah. and it's so much more enjoyable. We were With all the- talking about that, and they were much – I think we were – a lot of us were – some of the rules we don't like, but I think – We've been surprised at the reaction with a lot of people in, in the game and with the fans, how, how it, uh, it's been received. Yeah, I mean, just even seeing the stolen base again, which was like yeah. a lost art, has been great. Yeah. You know, Aaron, I never asked you this, but like you, I mean, Ricky, what he was doing, I mean, that's just something you'll never see again in your lifetime. You guys had that in Oakland for so long. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was like – as soon as he got on base, you knew he was going. Everybody in the stadium knew he was going. The other team knew he was going, and he went, and he <laughs> yeah. still made it. So, yeah. I yeah. mean, how, how do you like? How do you not think that that's amazing that everybody, yeah. everybody there, no, yeah. like, there's nine guys on the other team waiting there to stop him, and they can't stop him. Right. So. Yeah, but you know, hundred was one hundred thirty. He set the. I don't think that record will ever be broken in my lifetime. I think that's one of those. It will stay. We'll have to see how this goes now, like because they've mm-hmm. made it this year. They've made it super hard for the pitchers. Like you can only throw over twice, yeah. and yeah. before yeah. you're gonna, you know, give them the uh, get in the box with the base and stuff like yeah. that. Like, yeah. And um, I think the a, I think the one of the things that came out of Moneyball was showing that stolen bases are not all that valuable, actually, right? But now that you now that they're easier to get, maybe teams will start doing it again. But you got guys that are super fast, but they're just not making the attempts or they don't get on base as much as they need to be able to do to really take advantage of it. So, well, well that's a lost start in and of itself. I'm getting yeah. on base. Yeah. 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 It is. Hey Mo, and you're, you watch a lot of baseball. Is there a game that stands out to you as one of like a great game? Like you just in your memory. I mean, with me, it's that game seven of the twins Braves to me. It's, I think it's one of the great games. Okay. Um, So, I mean, let's just talk recent. Uh, the World Baseball Classic. I had an absolute blast watching that. Um, I yep. I, that game against Venezuela with the U.S. Uh, was awesome. That Trey Turner Grand Slam, I, yeah. I hadn't been that excited about a baseball game since Paul Canerco's Grand Slam in 2005. So uh, I thought that was a lot of fun. I really liked the, base, the World Baseball Classic. 
when I was in Miami uh, for most of uh, the, when the games came there, I just wasn't there for the final game. I went home mm-hmm. that night and that was when Miami was making the run in the NCAA tournament. The Florida teams were making that yeah, run. I remember, yeah. I'm telling you that whole, the whole area was into the world baseball classic. It was a, it was a big, everyone yeah. was watching it in the cigar lounges. Uh, it was a, and look, I thought that moment and I don't know, I, as much as I thought that moment when you had uh, Otani and Trout at the plate. Yeah. To me, that was, I don't, I, I still think that was a great moment. I know people knocked it. Yes. I'm like, no, it, that was so unique. That was so unique to have the two franchise guys on this team. Like yeah. in, the, in the final, at the final at bat. Yeah. You're not going to get what's that What's their again. logic for knocking that? Well, you know, because it wasn't, anything, there was no hit or anything like that that happened, but, but I yeah. Otani got him out. I mean, that's what he did. Yeah. Um, I, I said, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, so definitely with that. And I got home in time to watch that. So, yeah. Um, is there a disappointing moment you've had or a disappointment, like a big disappointment in baseball? Yeah. I mean, last year's White Sox team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was like, in terms of like, re- I can't think of, cause when they sucked before, we knew they were going to suck because they were rebuilding and all that. I mean, you're talking now the last 15, 17 years, really. Um, but, yeah, last year was probably the, the most disappointed I've been in a baseball season in a long time. Wow. Just because the expectations were, right. were high. Right. All right. No, last question here. Um, do you have a World Series prediction this year? I'm going to go, okay, you guys are going to laugh, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go the Padres from the NL. Oh, interesting, Aaron. All right, so you're on, you're on, you're on pace with where, what my prediction was. Yep, yep, you're on Aaron. So. Okay. Um, from the AL, that one's tougher. But I... And as much as this pains me, almost to the point where I, I, I want to vomit. Um, I'm going to have to go with the Astros again. Wow. So okay. Mo, Mo and I have the same picks? Mo has the same oh. picks as you, yeah. And I have the Astros, by the way, winning the AL, too. I, I will make I will make a, an asterisk that says Tampa Bay looks really fucking good. Yeah, well, we so, I thought Tampa Bay was good this year when on that panel. Then. Yeah, but they're allergic to the postseason. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. They, they just... But yes, what a fantastic run to start the season. Yep. yep. So who wins, Mo? Astros or Padres? I I think the Astros are just too good. I know. Yeah, you're with Aaron. We're a hundred percent. We're hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll just I'll it's already it's, I'll publicly say it if people didn't see the show. I had Astros and Mets with Mets winning, and I I really? put the, I put the jinx on Hector. <laughs> I thought I thought getting Verlander in there was going to be the rent, the kind of a I don't want to say it was a rent to play, but that he'd have this year, they'd have this year where they could just do what like the Diamondbacks did, and you know, with having yeah. Scherzer and Verlander was going to be like Schilling and Johnson that year. Yeah, yeah. and Johnson, yeah, yeah, but it's uh, it's not worked out like that. Uh, yeah, I I don't know, man. That's a tough one. I mean, I like that Mets team. I like what they've done, but yeah, I don't know. 
Yep. So uh, now we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, like I said, I may asterisk it now and say raise, raise and uh, Brewers. So I think the Brewers look good. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, now here's an interesting fact for you guys. As of May 1st, this is the first time in history that the Yankees and Cardinals were both in last place by May 1st. Wow. It Wow. That's a great, that's a great piece of knowledge you drop in there. That's a great stat. Wow. That's pretty crazy. And that, that's a testament to both of those organizations yeah. for how well run they are. I predict a Cardinals implosion at the beginning of the year, by the way. I was the but one. neither one of those teams that I mean they're not, they're not out of it. They're not in last out of place. It. Look, but the Cardinals look bad. The Cardinals they have no reason to right be in last place right now. Yeah, well, the Cardinals are playing worse than the Yankees, I think, though. Yeah. Uh, well, Nolan Arenado didn't get the memo that the season started. Yeah. So, <laughs> like... I mean, you can use the Yankee excuse. They they have had injuries, right? And, you know, I was listening yeah. to it. I was listening to a – I had the New York Sports Radio on today, like, while I'm working. And one of the, one of the hosts, he made this great comment. He said um, the Yankees were built on an unhealthy base. And what he meant by unhealthy was people who could stay healthy. They don't have a base. It's an unhealthy base. You have, you know, Stanton's hurt every year. You sure. know, Severino gets hurt. And, and it was a, a great analysis. And they, they, don't, they don't have the parts to kind of fill in with that um, is, is mm-hmm. the problem. Yeah. So, I mean, you could say the injuries, but that's a great – that was my – I said that was a great analysis with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Yankees okay. have something. It was like 12, 12 players on the IL or something right now. Look, I, I get crazy. it. I get it. Look, and I'm, I, but you know, but you know, I, I, I kept saying, like, I talked to someone. I said, look, Bryce Harper was out last year, and we got to the yeah. World Series. So, and we had a great yeah. run without him too. So, sometimes you can get, but we, and we had the Phillies didn't have the injuries. I get it. They didn't have as many injuries, but they had some key. We have some key injuries this year, but we should still be mm-hmm. our, our pitching should be pitching a lot better. It's either the starting pitching sucks or the bullpen sucks. So, right. The, well, Stram's know, going to the bullpen because Suarez is coming back. So you got yeah, yeah, a little exactly. both. Exactly. Exactly. What, what's interesting too is the AL East is just going to continue to beat up on each other, which makes it hard for whoever comes out of there to be competitive over the long haul. I mean, even the Orioles now. The Orioles, God, what a what a fun team to watch. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the, in the, one of the biggest travesties in recent memory in my mind uh, in any sport is Mike Trout to be stuck on a team. We we've talked a lot about that. Yeah, really, never really been able to enjoy him on a big stage. And because they play on the West Coast, you don't really get to see their games a ton either. So, yep. No, that's that's a great point as well with that. Yeah. All right, so we'll wrap up before we go to break. I have another. Uh, this is our This Day in Sports History, sponsored by Espinosa Cigars. And Espinosa, uh, the makers of award-winning brands such as Espinosa 601 and Knuckle Sandwich. Smoke Espinosa, smoke Espinosa every day. All right, so this is a This Day in Sports History. It's baseball-related, all right? So I'm going to – what I usually do with this, Mo, is I throw out the – I throw out what the – I kind of throw a hint out of it and see if you guys could get it. I am not going to, I'm not going to lie to you guys. This is a very, very hard one. Okay. (laughs) I I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) All right. So, but let me see if I can, I can kind of get, let me see if you you guys can get this right. But I'll, I'll give it, I'm not going to like make you guys struggle. This is, this is hard, but I thought it was, it was a very interesting stat when I pulled this up. So, um, 
1975, before you guys were born, Bob Watson scored a run for the Houston Astros. So he scored a run. He kind of, you know, went over home plate, a run. And in the process, he reached a very special milestone for Major League Baseball as a whole. Do you guys know what that 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 milestone was when he scored that run? Uh, one millionth run. Correct. Yeah, that Bingo. was my wow. guess. Go, you guys got it. Yep. Yeah, when I read it, I didn't get it that way. But when you kind of yeah, explained yeah. the way you just did, when you read it that way, it. I knew it had to be something major league baseball in the run stat. Yeah, I think yeah. I said it better than I wrote it, but yeah, that's why I, I was yeah. But that is the correct answer. Correct. It was it. They they kind of they kind of I guess a lot of it's depending when they started, but I think they right. went back to some date in 1876. It was, and it was okay. the one millionth run scored in Major League Baseball. Good, good one. Good job, guys. You guys did yeah. a good job. All right, I got one more short uh, sponsor break. We'll get into our final segment here. All right. Um, and uh, let me mention, of course, I want to mention uh, J.C. Newman Cigar Company, founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman. J.C. Newman Cigar Company is the oldest family-owned premium cigar maker in America. For four generations and 127 years, J.C. Newman has been handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. J.C. Newman is headquartered in an iconic 113-year-old cigar factory in the Ybor City National Historic Landmark District of Tampa, Florida. At the factory known as El Rahol, J.C. Newman has premium cigars by hand and hand-operated antique cigar machines, including the All-American Cigar, The American. The J.C. Newman Pencil, cigar, uh, Pencil Factory is the second largest in Nicaragua. It's a Brickhouse, Pella de Mar, El Baton, Quorum, and Yagua cigars are hand-rolled. J.C. Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond Cigars are handmade by Tobacco Lair, A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, the Newmans founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low-income families in the Dominican Republic with education, health care, vocational training, and clean water. Visit chasenewman.com to learn more. And by Casa Cuevas Cigars. The Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they have manufactured cigars for many industry leaders at an Alaska Lavis factory in the Dominican Republic. Now, the Cuevas family has brought their very own brand to market with Casa Cuevas cigars. Try their latest release, the Casa Cuevas Sangre Nueva, as well as their other lines. And remember, if they don't carry it, be sure to ask your local retailer for Casa Cuevas cigars. Casa Cuevas cigars from our Casa to yours. And this is our Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust Industry Deliberation segment, sponsored by Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. There's no deliberation when it comes to Dumbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included eight consecutive top three appearances on the half wheel consensus, including number one cigar of the year in 2020 with the Mi Corita Turkey Traca and 2022 with the Mi Corita Saka Khan. Visit DT Cigars to find a purveyor that carries the brands of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. So I called this segment Jump the Shark. And you guys all know what Jump the Shark is, right? Yeah. All right. And I'm going to, I have eight things. There's five things that are cigar related and three things that are not cigar related. So I'm not sure Mo, if you'll be able to do eight, but we'll, we'll do it anyway. Um, so the eight things. So here's what I want to know is when you say, when we kind of look at this, I want to know did they like jump the shark on day one. Did they jump the shark a long time ago? Did they recently jump the shark? Are they close to jumping the shark? Are they far from jumping the shark or will never jump the shark at all? So I want to kind of get an idea how far away they are from jumping the shark. So you know, I'm just kind of giving you a, a gaze with that. So this first one, I'm really curious on Mo's answer with, right? <laughs> and it's cigar events. Have they jumped the shark or are they going to jump the shark? 
And what I'm saying with cigar events, I'm going to just say more at the retail level here. So I'm not talking. Okay, that, that that was my first. Yeah, um, yeah. They they have certainly, and when I a little bit had alluded to earlier about how the way cigars have been bought and and consumed post in a like post COVID world, um, the cut and light events and things of that nature are not as big draws as they were pre COVID. So oh, I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. By the way, I was a lot. After you said that earlier, that totally fit into my thinking here. Yeah, so I think either that's going to evolve in some way, shape, or form. Um, and, and there's multiple reasons for that, by the way, uh, which for the purposes of brevity, we'll keep maybe to another time. But yeah, there's uh, it's definitely changed. And I think it may take a little bit before um, maybe things get back to the way they were of it. If they do it all. So you say they've jumped the shark? I think so. I mean, I'm still going to do them, but I, yes, I, they're not as effective as they, they once were. Aaron, what are your thoughts on that one? I would agree with Mo. Um, I mean, and I, I, I'm, I know I'm not the typical cigar consumer, but um, it just, they don't, they don't seem to have a draw for me unless there's something like really special that's going on. Um, and I know you can't do it. Like, I don't think that that budget really exists that much anymore to do those on a consistent basis. So, um, yeah, I would agree with that. They've, they've jumped the shark. Yeah, we're, we're in agreement with that, too. I mean, unless you're going to, like, bring Carlito Fuente or, or yeah. Jonathan Drew, which, that's a different animal. But well, the, the one thing I was thinking about this is what Aaron just said is for a small brand. Mm-hmm. That's got to be tough to support a lot of events. I mean, it, I, I get a cut and light because if you're visiting the store, it's a little easier to do that. Mm-hmm. So you're in the store. You can kind of do that. It's a little more impromptu. It's part of your travels. But I think something right. like planning a full uh, what I call an event with the table cost and buy, buy, buy three, get one free. I, I just I think it's jumped the shark. I think it actually jumped a little before COVID, but definitely coming out of COVID for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it- Unless you're like you said, unless you're a big name, no one's really making an extra effort. If they happen to be in the area and are going to the cigar shop, they'll go. Agree. All right, next one. Gordo cigars, the sixty ring gauges, the six by sixties. Have Gordo cigars jumped the shark? I don't think so, no. I don't think it's close either. I don't no, think they have. I, no, I agree with that. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. Uh, okay, so there's two different types of consumers that smoke six sixties. Right. There are the guys where that's the smallest size they'll smoke, and then there are those that that is the absolute largest size that they will smoke. Great analysis. Yeah. And if a six sixty, and the reason like my my double toro is a six fifty six. I could still grab the people that smoke a 660. I'm not grabbing the people that smoke 770s or 880s or whatever. A 660 will still grab those people, but you're not, I don't know if that makes sense. So it's kind of like a dividing line almost. Yeah. Um, if, if, we were, if we were to say this with the, the 70 ring gauges, I might think a little different with the answer. 
you know, because I think a lot of, I see people go to, you know, like, but your analysis was great where, you know, people they'll try it maybe, but you know, they'll probably won't go above a 60. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're in agreement on that one. All right. Next one. We hear Cuban cigars are called the forbidden fruit. Like I got to smoke a Cuban. I want to smoke a Cuban. Have Cuban cigars and, and like in the U.S. This is what I'm talking about. Smoking Cuban cigars in the U.S. Has that jumped the shark? No. And I, I think that mystique is still there, particularly with people that don't so, smoke cigars on a regular basis. That, um, especially for non-cigar smokers, that mystique is all they know about cigars. Um, and even for people that have been smoking uh, for a long time or smoke cigars on a regular basis, uh, they will still absolutely seek an opportunity to smoke a Cuban. How about you, Aaron? Yeah, I'd say for, like most said, the non-cigar smoker, uh, 100%, they'd go after a Cuban cigar uh, immediately. Um, but um, I'll maybe differ a little bit on the other side. Um I think with the price increases and I think the the quality that's just we've been seeing the drop of uh, tobacco itself as well as the construction, um, it makes it hard. But you you know you have a small subset of guys that will only smoke Cuban cigars, uh, and you're not gonna you're never gonna sway them. They, they like like we were talking about like if someone likes a brand, they're just gonna stick with that brand. Like these guys have, these guys have just like they're they're on the Titanic. They're gonna go down with it. Like there's nothing yeah. that you can do to save them. You know, that whole that whole joke about, you know, there's a flood and God sends like these three different people. And he said, you know, you know, why didn't you save me? He said, I, I said to do with a boat. I said to do with the helicopter. <laughs> you know, you didn't see the signs. So you know, yeah. you're not going to save those guys. But I think for um, regular smokers, uh, I think we're now at the point where uh, it's hard to justify spending more to get less quality than what you can get in you know nicaragua honduras dominican republic so aaron it's interesting you just brought up a really interesting point so i would almost break it up into a couple so has has your average consumer been priced out of cubans yes there's a big possibility so they're therefore no longer even going to try but if you go to areas like Southern California or something like that, where Cubans are very, you know, there's always your regular humidor and then there's your other humidor that, yeah. uh, you know, your regulars know about. Um, that it's There is still something, especially amongst, let's call it the uh, well-to-do consumer, that mystique still exists. Right. And, and like you guys were talking about, I only smoke Cubans and this and that, so... I'm not, that's, yeah, I guess it just depends on how you kind of look at that whole thing. I don't know. I had it as far from jumping the shark, but I agree with the point you're saying. I think that, like I said, the average consumer, if there is a, if there's an opportunity to smoke a Cuban, they can get one. They're going to do mm -hmm. it. You mm -hmm. have these guys who are buying the cigars import like overseas, and maybe that's died down because of, of demand and uh, price. But I don't think that's going to be forgotten about. I think if if the if, yep. the, if the market corrects itself or there's some more, I think if there's more availability, I still think there's people who's going to buy it. So I think it's still far from jumping the shark here. Yeah, and and, and the thing is, if, if these ever come to the U.S., it's going to be a big deal when it happens to the U.S. I don't care how what yeah, these about the price that you're going to see people paying for them. Yep. There's going to be a market for that. So I I agree with you guys on that. All right, next one. 
resurrecting predicate blends or predicate brands and then bragging about that you're like, you know, you've resurrected this. Has that jumped the shark at this point? I, uh, one thing I learned and I was once when I was in the consulting world, I had worked with government, a government entity, uh, during the global financial crisis in 2008 and things like that, or well, it was 2010 by that time. Um, and I could tell you, uh, one thing about the government is they move extremely slowly. And so until we know for sure that they are not going to pursue regulation of premium cigars. I think that it would be still a smart move to have access to be able to use predicate ones and things like that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I still think it's cool uh, if you can bring, you know, bring back a brand, you know, you got to do some research. There's a little bit of work there. Um, but, um, and, you know, once you do that, you can bring a, bring a brand out. You still got to put something good behind it. Right. So sure. you can't, you can't let somebody else's work a long time ago, carry you through today. It's just not going to, not going to fly. If, if you make the cigars and they suck, that brand's not going to stay around mm. either. So, um, I think it's cool when it's done right. You know? Yes. Um, I think it kind of has jumped the shark a bit in my book. There are exceptions though, but I think it has um, because some like for here's a good example one. And I, and I, I like the cigar and I like the story is, you know, that red anchor cigar that United brought back. It's the brand from like the 17th, 18th century. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a cool story. And I love the whole story behind it. And we had Hendrik Kellner on who talked about the cigar and everything. It's great. But it, the problem is I can't relate to it because it's a cigar I never smoked. So, you know, if I've never smoked mm-hmm. it, it, even La Polina, when they did what they did, I never smoked an old La Polina. Uh, like mm-hmm. I said, I was interested in it, but I think to some extent, it, it, if, if it's some of the short-term stuff, Aaron, like some of the Davidoff's come back, I get it, though. I, yeah. I kind of get that. That is pretty cool if they, you know, I remember when they brought back the uh, LE 2005, you know, that was a pretty cool thing that happened, you know, so, so I think it depends yeah. on that one. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I was able to score some original one-offs at a re- at a store in Michigan a few oh, years nice. back, and then able to compare them versus the uh, Illusioni one. Oh that wow, cool. that is cool. That yeah. is cool. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that, yeah, I could see that. I could definitely, if you're really into yeah. it, I could see that. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. All right, the next one: V cuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Ah. I, I'm not a, I'm a straight cut guy. Yeah. Um, I remember working retail and you know how many cigars I had to replace using a V cut. Cause I did like, can you cut this for me? And then especially yeah. in Connecticut, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I feel like V cut, um, no, it hasn't jumped the ship. I would, the, the last few, uh, events that I've done are cotton lights and stuff. A lot of people use V cuts. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people that like to do it. It's just not for me. I mean, if they, yeah, I mean, but, you yeah. know, people want to do it, go for it. But yeah, uh, it's just yeah. I, I don't know. It's just I think it's just too like most of it's just too much of a chance that it's going to do something to to the head of that cigar. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah. interested in, in once that's done, it's it's over. I'm not I'm not smoking a cigar that is you know got 
you know, caps come flying off and I can get, you know, picking bits of tobacco out of my mouth. So, um, if I'm answering this for me personally, it jumped on day one. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but that point Mo makes, and Aaron, you're 100% right. There's still a ton of people who want V cuts, and I see it in stores mm-hmm. and they want V cuts. So yep. uh, I don't think it's close. I think from everyone else, it's probably, there's no signs of it going away. So mm-hmm. they're going to, you know, I, I, you know, I see people when a V cut cutter comes out, people are interested. So, but uh, if you're, you know, but, but de- it was a day, I just, I never got comfortable with the V cut. It never did mm-hmm. anything for me. Me neither. Um, I'd rather, like, I know if I, like, forget my cutter and someone has a V cutter, I'll do the, bite the cap off before that 100 percent. yeah yep. <laughs> so, same so, here yep yep uh, all right these next three are not cigar related so uh, we have a baseball one in here umpiring in the major leagues oh that's a great one yeah <laughs> man that's a great question i I'm going to go that the umpires are going to stick around in the major leagues. Now, the minor league levels, I'm not sure. <laughs> I know Aaron's answer on this. Uh, they jumped the truck a long time ago. Uh, I mean, <laughs> at, but at that point, we didn't have the technology. I think we have the technology now. Like, listen, <clears throat> so I was at the A's game on Sunday. Uh, there was a play at third, play at third base, I believe. Um and uh, I think it was a steal. And uh, the guy threw it down there. Third baseman, like in in the old days of like no replay, perfect perfect play by a third baseman, right? He catches the ball, like he catches the ball, touching the bag, thinking mm-hmm. like, you know, that he's already in there. The guy can't get in there. But when they show it on replay, he doesn't go far enough back to like block the the guy's foot from hitting the bag right so if you do right. that then you know it's like so they're showing it on the board uh at the stadium I, I don't know who can't see that you know this guy is safe obviously the hometown fans are not going to see it but i i can look at look at it objectively and say he didn't tag him the guy's safe yeah they go to replay and they still fuck it up like <laughs> what what like how do you do that you just, yeah. you just saw it five times in this monitor or whoever's watching it and telling you like, cause they called them out on the field. So they, I, yeah. I, I don't like this thing of like, there's not enough evidence to overturn it. Like if you see it one the other way, just say it's the other way. Like you don't have mm-hmm. to save face for your guys that on the field made the call. Like at, we're, we're at the point where we can just get it right. Let's just get it right. So mm-hmm. for me, long time ago i don't want umpires calling balls and strikes anymore we've got the technology to get rid of that that's over <laughs> we've got the tv cameras we we can make all the plays obviously a guy on the field could make the call a lot faster than if you have to go look at it on tv but yeah. to keep the game going keep it going but if you got a review guy you gotta get the, you gotta get the play right like you, you don't have an yeah. excuse at that point you got enough camera angles you you, you got the you got the right the right eyes on it so um that's my rant. i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna spin this a little different if Aaron knows my answer. I don't think it's jumped the shark in my book, right? <laughs> I, I think bad umpiring's been there from day one. And as long as we have umpires, we're gonna have bad umpiring, no matter what yeah. they put in there. Like so so it hasn't, but I think in a lot of people's minds, what Aaron's saying, there are a lot of people who have basically said this thing about umpiring exactly what he said. If the technology is there, why are, why are we doing? It? I understand how people feel with that, so I do think in a lot of people's minds it's jumped the shark um, a while ago. Yeah, 
Because I this part of keeping the game speed going. Like if you take those balls and strikes calls from the umpires, um, and you make it where like you know you're you're reviewing all the calls from up in the booth for whatever. If you just take that chance of an argument out of the game, like we waste a lot of time with the umpires coming out and bullshit, and mm-hmm. you know, and they have to argue even if they know that they're wrong, just because they ha- that's just the, the tradition of the game and how you see yeah. that it's supposed to be. Like you could know a hundred percent, you know, um, or if something gets overturned saying that they made the, you know, they made a mistake. They got the call right because they saw it work and you're going to come out to argue. Like you're arguing against like technology that has proven you already wrong. Like stop, you know? So, but I know Coop likes these little like interjections in the game to take away from what's, what's actually happening on the field. Like, like, Hey, in the, in the, in between the top and the bottom of the third inning, we're going to roll this dice. If it comes up with a five, the home team gets an extra run. You know, like these little things of chance that yeah. he wants to have in there, right? So I, I look, I'm old school on a lot of this, and there's nothing better than watching a manager come out and argue a call. <laughs> I mean, to me, I love it. it. I mean, I mean, yeah. and 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 I, there was an error. Like we had Billy Martin, Earl Weaver, and Tommy Lasorda, and and it yeah. was those three were absolute characters to watch that. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Manuel was was great at it too. It was like yeah. watching that and Lupinella, Lupinella, oh Lupinella was was the best, and 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 Bobby yes. Valentine, <laughs> oh yeah, getting thrown at. I mean, and there's no like you're in a game and the manager gets thrown at. It's like a high, yeah, you know, everyone's going crazy, and then, then the, the manager gets a big accolade, you know, getting getting off the field. It's a home team, you know, so. I I I will miss that. You know, what are we gonna do? Our, you know, we can't have now the robots, and I, they're gonna take that away from me. I, I get it. I think the robots will. I think they'll they'll compl- people will then complain about the calibration. You watch. That's mm-hmm. that, that's my feeling. They oh, you know, they didn't calibrate this right. You know, so <laughs> that's gonna be the next problem that happens. See, that's the thing though. You don't have, you don't have to worry about if it's calibrated correctly because yeah. as long as it doesn't change during the game. It can be where, where, where whatever yeah. the box is. That's the box of the game, you know. And then as long as you run with that box, I'm fine with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, this next one, Aaron. I know you're not a football guy, but I am curious on your answer with this. The NFL draft has it jumped the shark? Uh, no. And I think anything, and the reason. And this is a whole separate discussion of some other for some other time. Creation of the XFL, USFL, anything where people could vet on football or anything football related will continue because that is huge business. Betting has changed it, it sports. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, again, for the interest of time, but yes, we can get into that some other time, but I know we're, but yeah. So no, I don't think that that's true. I didn't, I didn't even think, I didn't even think of that angle. That's a good point. Aaron, how I'm about a, you? I'm going to give a hot take right now. <laughs> uh, the IQ of the major sports, NFL fans are the lowest IQ fan base. <laughs> is it okay if I say that? This is, uh, we don't censor anyone on this show. <laughs> That's why people watching the NFL. It is one of it. Um, after basketball, it is the worst performance in this era. Uh, I would say basketball is the worst. Then I'll go with football, and then 
Mm, I, I can't really judge hockey because I don't. I'm not. A, I don't watch enough hockey. Um, so uh, I, I just think the game is bad. But like Mo said, like people are interested in it for whatever reasons. Fantasy football, they can do it once a week. They don't have to vote. You know, it's not anything they have to really pay much attention to. Yeah. They're betting on the games. They're just getting drunk and eating and whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah. City, like they're they're not, they're they're tailgating out in the freezing cold. Like, like these are these are the smartest people in the room, right? They're they're all they're just out there getting drunk at like ten degree weather, waiting to you know go watch their team get smashed. Uh, you know, maybe they make it home. Maybe they get arrested. Who knows? So, um, I, I don't know. It's I have no idea. But I mean, it's one of the you know, it's one of those few sports where uh, a player coming out of the draft is gonna has a chance to play right away, right? And you get to see if yeah. they make it or don't. None, of, none of the other sports really are like that. I don't think. I mean, I don't know how hockey. I think hockey has minor leagues, so they I think they do it the same way as baseball. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little um, different. They come up with basketball's got development yeah. leagues and stuff like that as well. So, um, I think the draft probably makes the most sense for the NFL because they need they, they you know there's not really I mean I I guess they have like the leagues that uh, Mo talked about. They have the opportunity players can come up through there if they need to, or they can go cool. down there if they need to. But uh, they you know they have big practice squads and stuff like that. So. <laughs> And, and guys, I apologize, but the cigar shop actually closed at eleven. So if we could, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we so can, sorry, no, we'll, we'll no, wrap it. Yeah, yeah. We can wrap. We can skip yeah. the last question then, Aaron. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Okay, uh, and then just my answer, real quick, on the NFL draft. Um, yeah. The answer is the the pageantry of the draft has jumped the shark, but the draft itself hasn't because it's making a ton of money. Yep. All right. So it comes down to. Yep. So last question, Mo. Do you watch The Sopranos or no? I've watched it, yes. Okay, so as Jump the Sharks, a TV thing, as far as The Sopranos goes as a TV show, take the movie mini scene to Newark out of it. Did that show ever jump the shark? No, I think uh, that show will forever be cool. Yep. Uh, I, I wasn't a big fan of the movie. Uh, I thought it was okay. But that that show is absolutely iconic. And um, the acting and the fact that James Gandolfini is no longer with us, I think further cement it as a, a, just a legendary show. Yep, I would agree with that. Never jumped short. Never, never came close. I mean, some people say season six, the beginning of it. No, never came close. close. That show, you know, that show is going to live on for 30, 40 years. It's, it's mm-hmm. not going to go away. People are still going to talk about that show. So there we go. All right, that's perfect timing to kind of uh, wrap up the show. So, uh, Mo, first of all, I want to thank you very much for being on yes. the show tonight. We really do appreciate it. I know it's a uh, well, thank you guys for having me. I had a great time. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, this so is much. fantastic. This is like I think we just felt, I felt like we were just sitting in the cigar shop just talking. Yeah. Really was, yeah, it really was. And but we got into some really good. good industry talk on top of that, and I learned a lot tonight, Mo. I got to tell you that. So, um, thank I'm you looking, guys. Fo- looking forward to seeing you at PCA. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Likewise. Yep. All, All right, right, guys. All right. Have a great night. Take Thank care, you right. See you, Bye. And then as we wrap up uh, next week, so we'll have a show next week, 267. Nessa Miranda and Jason Wood are scheduled to be our guests there. So uh, look forward to that. So, Aaron, yeah, uh, I guess anything else before we wrap up? No, I think that's it. 
All right. Thanks to our audience again. Thanks to Mo uh, for uh, and thanks to his shop for staying open a little late. By the way, thanks to Mo for going to a quiet area in his shop. Yes. So, <laughs> so, yeah. but, uh, but he's done podcasts. He knows. So uh, yep. it's going to wrap up primetime episode 266 in the, in the annals of history for Thursday, May 4th, 2023. Now, Friday, May 5th on the East Coast. We'll catch everybody next week. Take care, everybody. See you guys.